BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a legend, a Austin Music Hall of Famer from the band The Big Boys, from Poison 13, from, we could go on and on about this, an artist, uh, a hero, like a legit, this guy, this guy is a hero, an amazing person. Tim Kerr is on the show today. I hope you're smiling for this one again, because he is, uh, this is, this is a fun one. More on that in one second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turned at a punk podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on various forms of well, actually, just Twitter and Instagram at Left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it. You can also subscribe to it and rate it on iTunes. And thank you, huge thank you to everyone that does do that. It's very much appreciated. You can also head over to patreon.com slash turned out of punk. And once again, a huge thank you to all you people that do do that. There's, uh, you know, videos of some of the episodes up there. There's footnotes. There's lost episodes and all sorts of things, um, over there as well. And, uh, speaking of support, this show not be possible without the support of the people at Vans who came aboard a couple of years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just don't do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of doing this thing. And for that, I very much am in, uh, appreciation of them. And also they're very nice to me. They have been very cool to me over the years. And one day I long to be at a house of Vans again. I was watching some house of Vans footage today, of Super Chunk playing with Keith Morris singing, and they were doing Black Flag songs, and then Super Chunk did a Misfits cover. My God, those were those are some fun shows, those SMN shows. And they'll be back one day, one day. Until then, though, you got me right here. Uh, speaking of shows, the band I play in fucked up. We played a show. It was uh, an outdoor show, a very fun time. Thank you to people that came out to that thing. It was a last-minute, very much surprise kind of Kind of thing because we had that tour that just didn't happen. And then we had that show in Chicago that just we didn't 
make it to. And at least we got to play while Jonah was here. And now Jonah, our drummer, has gone back to England probably to produce more records and do that sort of thing. And, and we have gone back into hibernation again. But thank you for the people that came out to that show. Once again, we've got uh, some records coming out. There is a Epics in Minutes reissue on vinyl. Finally, it's coming out on vinyl. It never was it came out on vinyl before on the incredible Get Better Records. And you can pre-order that now. Um, very excited to get that on 12 inches. It's the only record I ever kind of like took a lead in and fucked up as far as designing it. And yeah, I love the way it turned out. So I'm very excited to see it in LP format. Uh, there's also going to be a double LP of the single song Year of the Horse that Fucked Up did last year. Um, and now it's finally coming out on Tank Crimes Records on our good buddy Scotty Karate's label. Find out more information over there. And finally, Fucked Up will be heading out on the road again, potentially, hopefully. Yes, we are definitely in January and, you know, every, everything we talk about now, it's like, yeah, sure, it's all happening. Um, and it's going to be uh, for the 10th anniversary of David Comes to Life. And I look forward to playing that record. And it's being reissued by Matador Records. So you can find out more information about getting a copy of that over at matadorrecords.com. And I think that is it for the plugs on to the show. Today on the show, my buddy, the legend, Tim Kerr is here. Tim is someone who, you know, like talk to anyone that knows this guy and they will tell you what an uh, inspirational force of nature he is. And as well as Beth, his longtime partner, and both of them together are kind of like, I don't know, like the fact I talked about him being introduced to me as the unofficial mayor of Austin. And I, I kind of stand by that. You know, he definitely is, is someone who's been a fixture of that city since he moved there. And through playing in these various bands has helped shape the course of not just music from Austin, Texas, but music from around the world. Like Gord Dufresne, who ran Deranged Records, still probably runs Deranged Records, actually, used to have his email signature, listen to the big boys. Like they are a huge force in not just, you know, my band, but lots of bands, obviously, as well. And then he also has a huge impact on the world of skateboarding through his art and, you know, grunge. We talk, well, anyway. Why am I rambling on about Tim Kerr? You do, you got you're gonna hear him ramble on with me in a minute. Tim also just recently put out a book that he talks about in this episode with his uh, um, as as with Beth, and it's a collection of photographs they took with a toy camera over the years, as well as portraits of some of the artists that made these visionary environments that they're taking these photographs of, painted by Tim. But for uh, more information about that book and a bunch of other amazing books and a bunch of unbelievable records, check out the fantastic DonGiovanniRecords.com. Uh, but that is it, uh, I guess, sir, for now. This is a fun one. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Tim Kerr on Turn Out a Punk. <laughs> Awesome, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. What took you so long? <laughs> well, I've, I've been waiting. We, you you and I shot this amazing day together. Spent this amazing day together that we shot for that TV thing, Punk as Fuck, which they put yeah. out the Los Angeles episodes, but they still have not put out the Austin episodes where I went over to your house with another you know, music legend yeah, yeah. that I've looked up to for years, Carl Alvarez, and we went over to your house and talked about art and punk 
and and hung it with Beth and and just spent the day taking it all in. So I've been waiting for them to put that footage out so I could have you on the show. But when that does come out in advance, please come back for a part two. So oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll probably. I mean, with me, you'll probably need a part two. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, I think I could do a whole episode about each of your bands because there's just so much stuff to talk about. Because I, as I was just telling you off air, like your vision of punk one you know like i think if we look at bands that are happening right now you know like turnstile just put out a brand new record uh chubby and the gang you know i'll even lump my band in there like this this wave of bands where people want to bring other stuff into punk like it's no longer as codified and as genrefied as it became it's much more like it originally started and that's something that i've always heard you espouse like you even talked about how you don't necessarily like the term punk because you find it so limiting in what it kind of like. Well, it's just turned into a uniform, you know, it's just like, it's the same thing as, you know, if you've been, you said you've been listening to interviews, which is pretty amazing, but uh, you've heard this then. It's just that, that, you know, beatnik, hippie, all of that stuff, it all started with me and you and whoever's watching this thing, deciding we're going to do something over here because we don't have any choices anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And if you want to come, cool kind of thing. And all of a sudden there becomes a name, there becomes a uniform attached to it. There's all this stuff that has nothing to do with why we started it up in the first place. You know, we just started it up because of the freedom of it kind of thing. And like I say, I mean, even like Dada and all kinds of crazy art moving, all kinds of stuff. It, it, it just, once it gets going, I don't know who does that, but somebody turns it into, you know, gets a name for it in the uniform and it has to sound like this and all that kind of, you know, so yeah, I just don't sunrise, not of your world. I just don't participate with it. I mean, I, well, I mean, obviously I participate, but I don't like, <laughs> you know, build I just it. Don't, it just doesn't hold any. So anyway, I was going to, I told you, I was going to tell you a story that'll kind of emphasize this is that um, there's a, I didn't even know who Vivian Westwood was when this happened, like kind of thing. But mm -hmm. like, so when all the art stuff kind of started back up, well, I mean, I was doing art through all of this, but when people started asking me to like, you know, be in shows and have big paintings and things like that, um, there was a woman that we were friends with, and this is early 2000s, and she's in Milan and she's part of the, the fashion stuff going on there. And she decided that it was going to be a really good idea for me to have these big banners hanging at a Vivian Westwood show. It went through every single channel and every single channel was like, yeah, this is great. Let's do this. This is great. It got all the way up to Vivian Westwood. And when it got to Vivian Westwood and she saw that me and Beth had been together for as long as we have, she was just like, that's not punk rock. And I was out kind of thing. So, <laughs> so there you go. There's the, there's the rule makers that uh, whatever, you know, so. Uh, that is awesomely, uh, amazingly on brand, I think, for Vivian Westwood, too. So. <laughs> it was funny because at the time when it first came up, I had to ask Beth who Vivian Westwood was. You know, I was just like, Ooh, why does that name sound familiar? You know, so it's just, oh, yeah, I remember. So. <laughs> well, but whatever. I, I mean, it's just, yeah. Well, I got to start this off the way they all start off from there, Tim. How did you come across punk? Do you remember the first time you ever heard the word or or? Yeah, because I, I I had just graduated from college. I was in Austin and I was working at a record store called Record Town and uh, records started coming in. And right at that same time, uh, Sex Pistols played in San Antonio and this club started up Raul's and you started kind of seeing some people that just didn't look like anybody else, like walking around kind of thing. And it was like, oh, yeah, here we go. Here it comes kind of thing. And uh, 
And I, at the time, I mean, I'm still into all that stuff, but I was really into like soul and uh, jazz and things like that and acoustic stuff. And um, so the music of it, like, I liked The Clash. I thought they were, I liked them a lot. I liked Wire and I liked XTC a whole lot. Like when that, but when all this stuff was coming in, it was all, um, it was imports. Like you had to, you know, luckily I was working at the record store, so it didn't cost me as much, but it, you know, it would cost like 20 something bucks to get a record or whatever. So, yeah. um, so we finally, and we were all skating. So we, like I started, I grew up surfing. And so started skating in 74 when I came up here to go to school and, uh, and that was right when urethane wheels had come out. And uh, so then I we started skating and then we started skating. Like I broke this arm in 76 um, at a 14 foot pool. Like I was stuck in the gutter and came flying back down. But, uh, um, you know, we were doing all that way before any of this punk stuff or anything. And, and so me and Chris and Nathan and Biscuit and all these people were skating. Like we were kind of this central Austin kind of crew. And, uh, and Biscuit... Biscuit is 10 years older than me. So Biscuit, like, was kind of already in with all the craziness in Austin, like the, you know, the cosmic cowboy kind of type. I don't think he ever was that, but just that kind of, you know, he was in the scene kind of type yeah. thing. And, uh, and so his hair used to be down to his butt. I mean, it literally was all the way to, and then all of a sudden it's getting shorter and shorter. And then it's really short, you know, while we're all skating. And uh, so we ended up deciding to go to, you know, we kept hearing about Raul's and these records are coming in. And a friend of mine had also bought a Jonathan Richmond record. And, uh, and I just remember like he paid like 20, I don't know. It was like a bunch at that point in time, that was a bunch of money to be paying for a record. Right. And I just remember that song rocking leprechaun and it, <laughs> he had that thing on and I was just shaking my head, just like, well, you paid how much for this kind of, but, and then just laughing and laughing like you're doing now. And just like, put that back on, put that back on, you know, kind of thing. And then it, it kind of, and so we went to Raul's, Beth and I, and I think Chris went, Chris says he went, I can't really remember, but I think he went with us and it was the battle of the bands and it was Huns and boy problems and just all those Austin old school bands. And, yeah. and I like Beth and I, you know, you would go to concerts, but concerts like at that point in time are kind of like what they are now. You know, it's just like the, the band's up here, you're down here, there's a barrier, there's all this like it's unobtainable. You know, it's just like you can't, you know, it, just, it doesn't seem like you're ever going to meet these people or talk to them or anything, you know, kind of deal. And, uh, and we didn't really go to bars like we, we went to the Armadillo and saw shows or we went to, you know, like the, the basketball arena to see Humble Pie or something like that, you know, kind of deal. And uh, so we go into Raul's, which was a bar. And uh, and I like the music was secondary. What got me right off was the fact that, like, there wasn't a barrier anymore. Like the, the, the crowd was just as important as the band was. The crowd was on the stage, off the stage. People are yelling and heckling. The band's heckling back. Like all this stuff's going on. And hook, line, and sinker. I just thought this is the greatest thing ever. Like to, the, the idea that, come on, you can do this. Come on, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, and then, you know, as we started going, I started realizing that most of these people are, are doing stuff. They're either in bands or they're doing fanzines or they're taking photos or they're making posters. Cause they're, you know, back then there was a lot of uh, kind of art posters too. Like there, people would just put stuff up, you know, that didn't have anything to do 
like we used to put up a bunch of stuff about frats all the time, you know, like some, some, something would come up in the paper about some idiot that ran his car into the frat house because he was drunk or whatever. And the next morning I'd have posters up with pictures of the guy just going, look at this idiot. Like, kind of, you know, just, yeah, just, it was just fun. It was like, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like totally freedom. There wasn't like a set, you know, yeah, like yeah. style that you had to do or be and stuff. And uh, so after we went, Chris and I were out skating at Pflugerville and this is probably 78 or something. And, and, um, cause I think that's about when it started in Austin was around 78 and stuff. And we were out skating at Pflugerville and just laughing and talking about it and saying, you know, let's see if we can, let's, let's start a band and we'll play there once. Let's see if we can play there one time. We'll play at Raul's kind of deal. And, uh, Chris played guitar like junkyard i mean that's basically what he that he you know ted nugent acdc that kind which i i heard but it was like elevator music to me like i just didn't pay that much attention to it because i was more into this other kind of stuff um and i played guitar but it was all super acoustic and real melancholy like this new stuff is that's coming out like kind of thing and uh and so we flipped a coin to see who was going to play bass because we both played guitar and uh, and I got guitar and he got bass. And I guarantee you, you probably wouldn't even be talking to me if it would have been the other way around because <laughs> it would have just not been the same band at all. It would have been a totally different thing. So um, and then I think Chris. He says he went to Joseph and asked him, like, well, what does it take to play here? And Joseph said, well, when do you want to play? kind of type thing and so that's how it kind of started and uh and we asked biscuit to sing and we asked steve to drum it was all skaters like we you know which wasn't really part of that crowd at the time because the the crowd at that time was more like rtf students and art students and things like that and and it wasn't all ages but definitely there was a couple of underage kids that would get in kind of thing and um so it was kind of a whole different thing so to have here comes this crew of skaters and the only thing that we really have that ties in with all of them is biscuit because biscuit had been gone and he already knew gary floyd and all these different people that were there and stuff so um but that was pretty much it and the, and the first show was uh it wasn't at raul's it was at this place called the fur vault it was the vault and it was uh but it was a big fur vault it was like upstairs and it, i'm sure it was like the most dangerous because it literally had a big safe door that you went in and out of kind of thing to go down these rickety stairs. And then it's like, got all that foam in there or whatever, you know, for the best. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and there was, uh, somebody, they knew that we, that biscuit was going to be singing so that, so they knew something was getting ready to happen. And they, they were asking, Hey, do you want to play this party? And I and I think we'd practiced once or maybe we might've practiced twice or something. And, uh, and I, you know, basically was saying, well, sure. Like what, you know, like, uh, well, what's your name kind of thing. And there, and, um, and at the time, I think we had three different names, but I don't remember what the other two were now at all. But I just remembered big boys at the time when I said it on the phone and I said, big boys to the guy. And then I remember that night, Beth and I were coming back from a movie on the drag and the drag was kind of the college, you know, strip, or you've probably seen it where all the posters were and all that. Cause yeah. And we see this poster and, there, and it's the classic, you know, 15 bands, you know, kind of type thing. And just, you know, which back then that's kind of what was going on. There was all these different bands and Beth's looking at it and she sees big boys and she's like, shit, somebody's got the name. And I was like, oh, shit. And I, 
oh, wait a minute, that's us. Oh my God, we're playing Friday. Oh my God, you know, kind of thing. So we had to go back and practice again. And that was the first show. And I think, I think we did five songs. I think it was five songs. And then uh, they made us do the five songs again, kind of thing. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, it's, it's amazing how, like you, you mentioned that you guys being kind of separate from punk rock, like what was the music that was associated with skateboarding back then? Cause like, you know, in Dogtown, the Z boys, they talk about black Sabbath and all these kind of yeah, things. Yeah. Like, Nugent, black Sabbath, all that kind like, of stuff. But when we skated, but when we skated, we'd have on Ohio players, like yeah. all the old cameos stuff. Like we just have a whole bunch of funk on and yeah. stuff. And uh, that's how come we ended up playing it was because it wasn't, you know, I, I remember when we first went to LA, like once it started kind of getting bigger and you were in fanzines and all this kind of stuff, because the, the actual first trip to California, we played in San Francisco. Three people were there. It was us and then the band, the other band. Right. And then I think Mofo was there. And I can't remember the guy, whoever we were staying with was there. It was the place in the Tenderloin. And uh, and literally the first band played they left saying tourists go home and it was us playing to mofo and the friend we were staying with and stuff. So that was the first, but then once it started showing up in flip side and all of a sudden you had skate rock and all this kind of thing, you know, it got kind of bigger and we'd get interviewed and people, it was almost like people thought we like sat around at a table and stuff. You're going to see cats all the time. Oh, it's them. okay. Love yeah. cats on the show. You, uh, it's almost like they thought we sat around at a table thinking like, well, what, what can we do that's going to be different? We're going to do some, let's play funk. Let's do, no, it, it's, it's what you originally were talking about. There's no rules to this. You do the stuff you like and what you, and we all loved funk and soul. So we played funk and soul, you know, kind of thing. And so we were doing that too. So when, when Kathy Valentine was on the show, she talked about ZZ Top and kind of like how it's kind of hard to appreciate ZZ Top's place outside of texas but the zz top was almost like a ramones type band for kids like where this was like a local band that was doing it and kind of showing kids that like yeah you can do this too was were they on your radar at all or yeah but at the same time like once again that wasn't my radar like i was listening to bert Yatch and john renborn and just all this other kind of john martin stuff and everything and then here came punk like i you know we we went to that great big huge ut stadium show where ZZ Top played and and Santana and all that. They tore up the football field and the whole, you know, it's like some big legend down here well, they, now. They but we were there, stage, right? They had animals on stage or something. Maybe I can't remember, but it like we. The funny thing about ZZ Top, like I never have ever met them. I've heard they're really super great, nice guys, and all that and stuff. And um, but the funny thing about them was we would hear stories that, like, okay, there was Raul's. And then it kind of started going and the Texans started writing about it a bunch and different people. And so the people that were in kind of the old hippie bands and stuff were getting mad because the punk rock stuff was getting more press, you know, because the Huns got arrested and that was in Rolling Stone and there's all this kind of crazy shit. And like, so you started seeing other clubs kind of opening up, you know, to have this stuff. And it, and it was right when, you know, when it first started, New Wave, it was all the same thing. It was just the weirdos all together playing. And you could easily be playing with a rockabilly band and then a synthesizer band. And then it was just the people that didn't fit into anything else were all New Wave punk rocks, what I guess they thought kind of deal. So so other places started opening up and there was a place called Duke's Royal Coach Inn that was on Congress downtown. And it's kind of where 
there's a Johnny Winter live record that's from Duke's Royal Coke Gen from back in the, you know, it was kind of like the, I think it was almost like the Armadillo before the Armadillo or something, you know, it's just like <laughs> one of these places that, and, uh, and then they started booking punk shows and things. And the story is, is that I didn't ever see this, but supposedly like ZZ Top would show up like when we were playing or the Dicks and sit in the back and just be laughing like, oh, look at that kid, look at those kids jumping off, oh, look at that, look at that, you know, kind of thing, just sitting in the back laughing, you know, like really? what was going on. So, I've, you know. So. I know uh, a friend of mine plays in like a crust band and from Denmark and they yeah. were coming over and met Billy Gibbons in an airport in London in Heathrow on a stopover. And they're like, Hey, we're playing a show in Austin and Rookie Erickson's going to be playing too. Oh and yeah. He's like, Oh, can I come down? And he's like, yeah. And no, so they, I was at that show. I went to see that show where they yeah. played and like, yeah. And that was, that was really freaking amazing because there was a band here called the explosives mm-hmm. and the explosives like, basically i think that they were like i can't remember somebody's backup band like you know lubbock singer songwriter backup band kind of type band and stuff okay and all of a sudden and like i'm saying when everything kind of started switching and like then you all of a sudden had a division of new wave and punk and all these different things you know everything just started dividing up which is so ridiculous and like um it was like oh we, that's the new that's how we can make money let's do let's we're going to be a new wave band punk band kind of thing mm-hmm. so the explosive started up right mm-hmm. um, and then later they and so people down here were just like you know like <laughs> throwing shit at them and stuff because there's just you know like whatever kind of thing and like so they're rocky erickson's backup band later they yeah. end up in his his rock uh, yeah and so the night that billy gibbons was there because i was there it was at emos it was pretty freaking amazing like like they're playing and the guy the, the main guy i guess the guitar player i don't know that um looks exactly like the old school nashville producer looking guys you know has the big quaff and kind of i don't know he just looks exactly like somebody you would easily see in nashville coming out of the studio <laughs> like you know kind of and billy gibbons comes up everybody starts clapping and yelling and all this kind of stuff and yeah you know, rocky probably has no clue what's going on you know it's kind of yeah. there and like and I think they were playing, I don't know, one of the big hits. I can't remember, but I, I don't know. But anyway, and when the lead would come up, Billy Gibbons would walk up to do a lead and this other guy would step right in front of him and just start doing a lead. Like it was freaking, it was unfucking believable. And it happened like, okay, it happens once and people are kind of, and uh, you're going to miss me, I think is what they're yeah, playing. Yeah, so, yeah, like, so then here we go again. It happens again, like steps right in front of him kind of thing. So Billy Gibbons ends up just playing the jug sound on his guitar kind of thing. <laughs> and you're just thinking that it's like, they haven't changed at all. You know, <laughs> it's like those guys, like whatever. So that was pretty funny. I remember that. So. Well, you you bring them up, uh, you know, obviously 13 floor elevators and then also electric flag. Like there is a or American flag. Sorry. There's like the history of like, well, psych was born in Austin. Like there's this yeah, history yeah. of like countercultural youth counterculture kind of thriving in that city. Well, we've always been kind of the little San Francisco, you know, it's kind of yeah. like if you're, if you're into the kind of stuff that we're all talking about right now, or just, you know, any sort of thing other than football and, being a banker and just all that kind of bullshit. Um, you came here, you know, it was like, especially back then, you know, now you, there's definitely scenes in Dallas and Houston and all that a whole lot more now, but at the time, Austin was kind of the place where 
hippies and weirdos and all that kind of stuff were if if you were going to stay in texas you know kind of type thing so so uh, yeah also you brought up um yeah, the fact that there's like this, sort of this divide between you know what ultimately was kind of more new wavy type stuff and then the stuff that's actually like kind of part of like part of the actual more youth scene type thing what about a band like d-day who you guys wind up doing that split flexi with they're on monument Mo- moment records well, they're on too. moment because we were on moment so okay. D-Day, and that's what i'm saying back then there wasn't like we didn't make the division i don't know who made the division but we did you know what i'm saying <laughs> so you had delta and Dida, you had all kinds of bands the skunks all these different bands that liked us we all played together yeah. and then at some point it kind of got really divided and then it really got divided when uh the hardcore stuff started because basically with with that what was going on was like we we went to California that first time, like I'm saying, and we mainly went to just, you know, we were going to play some shows, but we're going to go skate and like, you know, see people and go, go places, go to Disneyland, just do a bunch yeah. of stuff we have. <laughs> it was more, it was more like that. And it was kind of been like that through a lot of these bands. It was more like a vacation and, oh yeah, we're playing a show. It's on stuff. But then, but then tomorrow we're going to go and do something, you know, going to this thrift store and we're going to go to this, you know, what, you know, market or whatever kind of thing. So, um, but anyway, the um, trying to remember what what uh, talking about hardcore. Yeah, what happened was we came we came to LA and we were at that show that was the big Santa Monica Civic Center show where it was uh, DOA, Black Flag, Minutemen, Meat Puppet. I can't. There, I mean, it was one of those ones again. Sacrament Trust, like those huge, and uh, and all these kids. And it's, and it's when the cops all showed up and all that kind of crazy stuff and everything. But it's the first time we'd seen a whole bunch of kids at a show. And it's the first time we saw all that kind of stuff going on and kilts and all this, you know, this is craziness that we, nobody had seen that at home. And, um, and right then Chris and I, but it, it wasn't just, you know, I, I try to stress this all the time to lots of people because this kind of happened everywhere. It wasn't just we did this. It's, it's kind of like all different little places kind of started doing this is that we realized, oh, OK, to keep this thing going and not to keep it going to be talking 40 years later on some radio podcast, whatever. It was just to keep it going for something to have fun and do. Mm-hmm. We need to get kids. We need to get kids to come to this because they're not playing any of this on the radio. There's nothing really being written about any of this stuff. If you're in high school or junior high or whatever, you don't have a clue about this stuff back then. You know, kind of it's probably hard for people now to even imagine that it was like that, but it just was. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like there was just a small little group, a handful of kids that might know about this stuff, and that was it, you know, kind of thing. So we made a point of when we came back home of starting to look for places where it would be all ages. And we started flyer in high schools. We would go to the parking lots at night and flyer the cars and just, you know, and, and started putting on shows where kids could come, you know, kind of thing. And that was a big division because you had the bands that, you know, punk rock, it's like when Raul's was going, it was welcoming, but it wasn't like this thing of like trying to get people involved and, hey, come on, do this. And, oh, let's get more. Get You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it was like yeah, a no. kind of a different. So like when we started doing so when we started doing this and then all of a sudden you were getting like 200, 300 kids at these things, clubs 
we didn't need clubs anymore, you know, because we were doing our own shows and we didn't really have to worry about like trying to play at this place or that place. It's like we'd rather play over here where we're in control of the whole thing and and the whole community is kind of in control of it. So so that's that's when the really big division happened. And then I think MDC, which they were the Stains at first, but then they came to L.A. and met the L.A. Stains and they changed their name pretty quick to MDC. Because like, <laughs> I think they thought the Stains were going to kick their ass, which they probably were. Um, the Stains made posters one time that they put up and it was just that's kind of all of our songs are about something. Right. So yeah. I can't remember what song this one was that I wrote about this, but. They put up these posters that were just like, uh, are you hardcore or new wave kind of thing? And then they had a list of bands that were new wave and bands <laughs> that were hardcore, you know, like literally making uh, a distinction. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can't remember what song it was that I wrote. The, I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember because uh, it's right around, it was right around the time where they were going to move to San Francisco too. And I, I just remember the words uh, or something about, uh, leave if you don't want to stay is how it ends like kind of thing it's like yours is not the only way leave if you don't want to stay it's kind of thing is what it says at the end or whatever so because it's kind of like it is definitely something that i guess happens first in los angeles you hear about that but the mask scenes like that versus what the guys in black flag were doing where you had yeah. the mask scene was a lot of adults you know in new york people always talk about new york punk and stuff but like they were all grown-ups and then it was oh really yeah yeah it's hardcore. Well, that's how come that's how come John Belushi called up Ian and them at Discord <laughs> to get them to come up for the fear. Like fear literally played the the sat the weekend before they went to New York. They were in Austin. And I can't remember if we played with them or the inserts. And then Black Flag came right after that. And the story is is that Fear was gonna play, which they did on Saturday Night Live, and then Black Flag was gonna play the next one. But after all that shit went down, they were like, no, nobody's nobody's playing here again, kind of thing like that. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, Brandon was just on the show and says that he's the guy that knocked over the camera during the yeah. dress rehearsal that yeah. caused <laughs> caused the damage to the thing. Yeah, the it's, it's funny because Beth and I like, you know, by now, like, and it, once again, it's it's just like skating. It's hard for people to to comprehend that back then people could not comprehend this shit at all. Period. Mm -hmm. You know, like when it, when I broke this arm in '76. Every single one of those doctors was just like, so, so you were skating on the sidewalk and you fell into the pool? And it's like, <laughs> no, we're kind of you know, like they just couldn't, you know. And the same thing with this, like if especially the hardcore shows, you know, pretty much all the way up until probably about 85 or so. If you knew, you knew. That's the only way. Like, you, there's no, there wasn't anything other than the fanzines and stuff like that. But you know, what I'm saying, like, you didn't see it on TV or anything. So, I just remember, like, we were. It was on Halloween night, and we were watching the because we just had met Fear. Like, we were friends with them now and stuff because they just played here, and so we were watching it to see. And they play the first song, and they kick the microphone over and stuff, and it's just like, oh yeah, whatever. That's you know, okay. And then when it came on again, we hadn't met Ian. We hadn't met any of them yet kind of thing. But it, so I didn't really recognize anybody at first. Now I know pretty much everybody in that freaking crowd kind of yeah. they all stayed here and like all this kind of. But at the time, Beth and I are watching it. It comes back on. And I just remember seeing this kid coming across. And I saw and I thought, uh oh, OK, what's going on now? Kind of thing. And here we go. And they went into the thing and it was just everybody. You know, for us, it was we see this all, you know, every night we're out 
watching all these bands and seeing this, but for most of America, this was probably just like, what in the hell, you know, like, be terrifying. And, and here what happened was they did one song, they went into the second song and it sounded like it, it was John, but it sounds like he says, New York sucks fuck something i don't know what and then it and then it just kind of they started into the saxophone thing and then they cut it and uh, and here what happened was all of a sudden kill your landlord comes on you know that skit but there's no <laughs> laughing behind it or anything there's just the film so it was really odd kind of thing and then they put something else on and then commercials start coming on because there's still 10 minutes left of the show probably you know kind of thing and it clearly goes through all these commercials and then goes into stuff where it's like Austin, Austin, you know, just these local kind of, and we're all like, what the hell happened? Like, oh my God, like, I don't, you know, like, and so then the next day you see in the paper, there's like, oh, there was a riot and they tore up all these cameras and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and then we found out later that really all that happened was uh, one of them tripped over a cord and unplugged the camera. That's all that really happened. Nobody broke anything or anything, but it freaked, like Ian says that John Belushi called him and said, bring them. And so Corey and all of them, they got a bunch of the Detroit crew to come and stuff. And, um, and basically uh, John Belushi was going to come out and skank with all of them, you know, kind of thing that was going to be part of it. Right. That been and amazing. So, so he had told them like, okay, look, um, when this thing, when we do the sound check, do a little bit of it, but don't, don't do what y'all normally do, you know, cause at the time, New York didn't, re- I think Kraut was going, but they didn't really have a scene like this in New York at that point in time. So, you know, when it started, it freaked all the camera people out and everything. And that's why all the stuff got, and Ian said they wouldn't let them go back into the green room and get their shit or anything. It was just like, get the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> just like, but the best part of this story is, is that, okay, that was Halloween. So here comes Thanksgiving, right? And we go back down because we're Beth and I are both from the Gulf Coast, like this little town on the Gulf Coast. And we go home for the holidays for Thanksgiving, right? And I walk in, it's probably about 7 38 o'clock at night. My parents have the TV on and they're watching uh God, what's that guy? Who's the guy that uh Steve Martin? They've got Steve Martin's special, you know, like some kind of Thanksgiving special and stuff, and it's it's over. Like it's him telling everybody, Oh, thank you. And thanks so much. And, and I want to thank John Belushi for uh, being on the show. And John Belushi starts walking out and then turns and literally goes into that, goes into the skank thing. (laughs) And it was just like, Holy shit. He knows like, that's fucking amazing. You know, kind of because, you know, at the time we didn't know all the connecting story of it until, you know, Ian and all them told me later and stuff. So it's funny. But it was pretty funny. I just saw actually the other day on the internet. There's there's footage or not footage, but there's still photographs of a Coneheads punk sketch with Belushi in it that where they're wearing the Coneheads, but it's not full makeup, and it yeah. only apparently went to dress and they cut it from the show. But apparently there's like and they had a punk band, the Coneheads, with Belushi on drums in that sketch. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, because he, I mean, he was going to DC a bunch supposedly and, and seeing yeah. the stuff and everything. So we well, played yeah. in the Dead Boys too, right? When uh, after Johnny Blitz got got a sh- maybe a I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe so. He filled in on a couple shows, I think. There's a, there's definitely photos of that happening at, yeah. least at one point. So, yeah. but it, it's amazing, you know. With, when you talk about Ian, that's the same story with them going to Los Angeles, you know, with Teen Idols and seeing what was happening in L.A. and then bringing that back to D.C. And that's how all that stuff kind of comes to the East Coast. You know, it's very similar. Like obviously, it's taken up differently, um, but it's it's the same sort of thing, I guess, with you guys. Like it seems like 
it's going to Los Angeles, seeing the direction that things were going with these younger people. And this is where the energy is and just sort of taking it from the, the place. Well, it it's, it's, I'd say, yeah, halfway. I mm -hmm. think it's a combination of both because it's a combination of that, the bands that did go to LA, but it's also DOA and Black Flag went to every little freaking town in this whole United States and showed kids come on you know because and that's how you really started getting a whole lot of bands forming and all that or you know starting to get in places where you had all ages things and and the one thing that happened with that that doesn't really happen with the art stuff and i think if it ever happened with the art stuff like look look at us now talking about this like what happened with music like yeah. is people shared like black flag doa they shared all those phone numbers they shared everywhere they went oh and this person go here this is going to work and don't go here this person steals money and they, it was just this because it was a real it was like early skating it was it, as big as people think it was it wasn't that big and everybody stayed at everybody's houses and it was just this close-knit community kind of type thing um art Everybody holds their cards so freaking close because they're so worried that like, oh, well, if if I get Damien on this show with me, the people are going to write about him and they're not going to write. I don't know what's going on, but nobody, you know, they don't have like me and Rich do where you have a friend's wall where it's just, oh, you do art? Cool. Put something up. You know, kind of it's just and if that could happen where people would start sharing stuff and people would just start doing shows somewhere else, like art shows, like, Oh, well, I've got a garage. You can come here and do this. And me and you could literally go on tour just like a band, but do it with art and go around, man, if that ever caught on, like the, the this stuff did like the hardcore stuff, you, that would be freaking amazing. You wouldn't even need galleries anymore. And then galleries would be coming for you because, same thing with like major labels coming for the punk rock stuff, you know, kind of deal. So, and there's definitely people that do it like Cynthia and Bill Daniel and stuff have done it, but it's never caught on like that. If that makes any sense, like there's not, you know, just places where you can go and just put up stuff for a night or whatever. So you've seen it happen in comedy and pro wrestling in the last few years where these things will last sort of 10, 15 years, but like this sort of like rise of alternative comedy and yeah. independent wrestling, where you know these people kind of did the, exactly what you're saying like started doing shows in unconventional spaces and taking the power away from sort of the industry that had risen up around this stuff yeah that prevented people you, from getting it yeah and the thing is is that you know the industry thing is just such a in the big picture it's this small little there there's so much more going on in this freaking world and it's just like here's this one little cool lunchroom table over here that everybody seems to want to sit at and it's just like there's the, there's all kinds of other stuff happening and going on. So, yeah, no, de it definitely feels like, you know, it, I, I only started appreciating this earlier, but uh, sorry, recently, I should say, but like with skateboarding, it, it's amazing how much innovation had to come from people just like looking at magazines. Like it's hearing interviews with yourself where you're talking about how, you know, the kicks were before people started bending the skateboards or Steve yeah. Cavallaro talking about like putting sandpaper on as grip tape because he saw it in a magazine once being like, okay, that's the tech. Like yeah. it's, it's amazing how, these things were built by kids you know and just and like this sort of like this idea of like um you know diy which is always put on to punk rock but like really skateboarding is completely a diy sport at the core well, of skate it's it, beth and i kind of realized uh, probably around the time that we met you like back a couple bunch of years ago the uh 
that, you know, in reality of all, you know, in England, they call it tribes, you know, like, okay, you got punks and this kind of thing. But so of all these tribes, skaters seem to be the ones that are still moving forward and like they make clothes, they're putting out photo stuff, they're building their own parks, they're doing, and they, they want to know about the history and they definitely look back, but they're not just constantly just all they're doing is looking back, you know, instead of like there's, you know, the whole big picture of it. And uh, I don't know, it just seems pretty amazing to me that it's like, that's the crew that seems, you know, I'm kind of honored that I'm even a small part of that, you know, kind of deal that it's, it's, you know, I'm trying to say, because it, it seems like most people that are, you know, saying punk, I'm a punk band or whatever kind of type thing, or just really, all they want to do is just relive that high school touchdown pass. They keep wanting to go. We, we keep calling them reenactments instead of reunions, but it's like, and I swear to God, I know you've heard this on these things too before that, that to me, the best thing they should do this at punk rock bowling sometime. It'd be freaking amazing. Like they get a band that, you know, was together like fear or whoever kind of thing. And everybody wear. let's do like the civil war. Like everybody wear exactly what you wore back then. We've all got parts. You know, you've got the kid that jumps off the monitor and breaks his collarbone. You've got the four skinheads that come in and cause all the shit. And all the, I'd be there in a second. I think that would be the greatest <laughs> like thing ever. To see and then just, I mean, literally do a reenactment of the thing, you know, like what all happened and that, you know, so, yeah. but, you know, but, you know, it, it, to each his own because people are having fun and that's great, but it's just, it's, it's, when I went to, when Touch and Go had their great big thing, their um, 20th anniversary or 25th or something in Chicago, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. They really wanted me and Beth to, to come, Corey did and stuff. So we went to it and stuff. And all day long, like it, it, people would come up to me and like kids, I mean, literally kids. They're just like, man, I, I missed it. I, I never got to see negative approach. I didn't get to see so it's kind of. And you're looking at them and just thinking like, and this is really sad. Like you're, you're not even 18 yet. And you, you're going to live the rest of your life thinking you've missed it. Like you, you didn't get to, you know, I didn't get to do this or that kind of thing. And I spent all day long telling people like, man, just when you get back home, go to a show that's at a house or in a basement or, you know, nothing against clubs, but go to something that somebody's putting on some kid that's exactly what it was like. You didn't miss nothing. And yeah, they may not play negative approach, but yeah, here you go. This is it. And you're going to, you're so busy looking behind you. You're going to miss what's going on right now. And 20 years from now, they're going to be talking about right now. And you were there, but you missed it because you were too busy trying to relive this past that, you know, you think you missed, you know, kind of, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's depressing to me kind of. So. And they're also going to do a negative approach cover too, probably. Huh? They're also probably going to do a negative approach cover yeah. at the end of the set. So <laughs> you are going to get to experience a little bit of it. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's one of those things that, you know, and it, cause it does get codified. It does get commodified at a certain point and people try and turn it into a certain thing because that's how you sell it. But the idea that this was a space, like you're saying in the beginning that just said to everyone, you, you, you can do this as a young person, you, you can do this. What you do has value. And, you know, you mentioned, like the birth of poster art that comes out of the Austin scene. Like you're saying that comes out of you guys putting up these joke posters and all this kind of stuff and like Kozik and all that kind of stuff. And like the early flyers, like that is, that is now a worldwide art form that kind of just comes out of like kids just doing it themselves. Yeah. And it's, 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 
don't know. I think, you know, when people first start doing all this stuff, there isn't, you don't have the division yet. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, because when you're first doing it, there's nobody like this isn't in books. You don't see anybody there. There's not any future in this other than your future of having a really great time with your friends in this community and doing what you want to do. But then as soon as it does get a uniform and all of a sudden becomes something, then you do get the people that are coming in because they want to be validated. They want to have a name for themselves. They think they're going to make money or something. And to each his own once again, but it's just, it's, it's different then. Does that make sense? Like you, you still have people that are just, once again, like Sunrise, out of your world and just doing what they're doing. And if people write about it, cool. If they don't, whatever, you know, you're still going to do what you're doing and we're probably all going to be whatever they call it next. That's what we'll probably be. You know, it's like, well, they'll try to put that uniform on it and stuff and whatever, you know, so. Well, I guess back to your point, like I'm just thinking about it when you said about you, you and Beth talking about the differences between punk and skateboarding and the looking back versus looking forward. I guess like I think the the main difference between the, the two is that we all know what skateboarding is, you know, whereas punk, a lot of people take it up very differently. Like you and me are talking about it one way. I'll have someone else on this podcast and they'll completely disagree with the way oh, yeah. you and I think about it. Like they'll yeah. they'll be like, no, it's not this at all. And, you know, there'll be someone else who, who disagrees with all three or all four of us or, you know, whatever. Like, it just keeps going. Like, there's just, you know, it's not like skateboarding where you can be like, this is what skateboarding is. We can't argue. Like, obviously, we can take it up the ph philosophically about what goes into skateboarding. But at the end of the day, skateboarding is this thing. Punk could be good Charlotte. It could be the big boys. It could oh, be. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's that's their their description, their problem, their uniform. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's not... It's, you know, it's like straight edge. I mean, straight edge turned into so much of craziness that like there's a there's a really great story about uh, uh, they when I, I did a I got to do a show with uh, John that found all the Vivian Meyer stuff and all that. And I did a show with uh, at his gallery in, in Chicago and uh, they wanted me to come and talk at the School of Rock. And uh, and yeah, there was there's like maybe. 25 people at this thing there wasn't a whole bunch but there was a kid that i think was probably getting ready to go into high school i think and uh and this once again will be a good example of what we're trying to maybe this will flip a switch to one of these listeners or it'll sink in and they'll kind of realize what's going on um and he was real concerned about telling his friends that he was straight edge so he asked me he was asking me about it and I said, well, are you happy? And the kids, you could see the people in the crowd kind of like, okay, where is this going? You know, kind of thing, trying to figure out. And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, then why? And he's like, and I said, well, because as soon as you put a name on it, somebody in that room is going to be giddy, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, why? Hang on here. And that's literally what I did. I was like, hang on here, kind of thing. I said, look, when I was in high school from 70 to 74, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't do, what was I? They didn't have straight edge back then. So what'd you call me? What was I? Kind of thing. Beam, you saw the light bulbs going off and people realizing, oh, okay, oh yeah. I get, and the kid ended up coming up and giving me a hug and stuff. And it was just like that. Does that make sense? I don't even know if that's answering your question, but it's just. And also it's interesting, like, you know, there's, I can't think of uh, far from breaking who ultimately all, we're not very far from breaking their straight edge in the end. Like Austin seems like a city where there wasn't and that never caught on, you know, like there was never well, you had people that were, that were definitely, oh, definitely yeah. stuff, but it was always Austin was, I mean, 
Texas in general, which Texas right now is super embarrassing with all the bullshit that's going on with Abbott and all that stuff. But like we never really had a set, you know, style or something. I mean, it was just kind of all over the map. So you would have somebody that was really into mod stuff and then would have a kilt on too or something. It was just whatever you liked you which is what it should be. You know, it's, it's your interpretation of of your creative freedom and celebration of your self-expression kind of type thing. And that's why you had us who didn't sound like the dicks, who didn't sound like butthole surfers, who didn't sound like really red, who didn't sound, it was just, you know, and I just remember like when pretty after a couple of the different tours, you would go places and people were just like, you guys are hardcore. This is hardcore. It's like, yeah, you know, what kind of, you know, so yeah. we didn't really, there really wasn't a set thing here, you know, kind of deal other than just trying to get kids involved and getting, and, you know, there's another, this is kind of on the subject, but off the subject, but at some point, if you ask, I'm sure you've been, cause I saw all the different people you've talked to, which is pretty freaking amazing. Like all the different people, but, um, Usually if you ask Corey or Ian or a bunch of these people, they're all going to tell you 84, 85 is when things kind of went a different direction. And that's not, you know, for better or worse, it's just a fact. Mm -hmm. And thinking about it, you realize what's going on, at least in Austin. I have a feeling it's kind of everywhere is that like, okay, the first we start putting on these shows, there's nothing like this happening for kids at all these kids it's it's a special thing and it's like a kind of a community of people and we're all trying to keep this going and stuff second generation of kids same sort of thing third generation of kids when you hit about 84 85 they have this every freaking week weekend uh they just come with their little set two or three friends they don't come as this big group anymore it's not everybody's kind of separated that's why you had all the skinheads taking over shit where like you know, once again, four skinheads could come in and there'd be 300 people here and they're controlling the show, you know, which is yeah. back. That didn't happen, you know, because it was like everybody bounded together as a community and you had, you know, kids that were just like, oh, well, punk rock means that I'm not supposed to listen or, you know, take any direction from anybody. I'm punk rock. Fuck you. You tell me don't tear up the bathroom. I'm going to tear up the bathroom because I'm punk rock, you know, kind of just so things just and right after that it kind of started turning back into shows instead of being this kind of you know i think that's why i'm sure you guys us uh, most bands love playing house shows and things like that more so than playing clubs mm -hmm. because of what i'm talking about it's, it's it's literally turned back into what it was before punk rock started like there's you you go to shows you pay your money you do this there's a barrier there's all this you know for the most part, obviously there's stuff going on that's not like that, but you know what I'm saying? For the most part is turned back into that. So, well, that's what I love about punk. Cause when it does turn into that, you know, as the nineties happen and, you know, post Nirvana, post green day, this explosion and, and these shows become concerts, huge concerts. There's also the rise of like, you know, the Timmy Hefner's type scene, like the yeah. DIY basement scene, you know, it seems like just when things get huge, there's a new scene that's like, no, fuck you. It's not about that. And they start yeah. building up their own basement scene again. I think that's what makes punk to me so unique. Like, even though there's very regressive aspects of it, yeah. but at the same time, it's always constantly renewing because it's always a space that says, look, 17 year old kids made some of the greatest music ever. You can do this. And and there's yeah. very few genres. And that I think, but the deal is, I think that, that 
it's not necessarily being as old as I am, you see the cycle, like you mm -hmm. see the stuff keep coming back. And that's it. Cause like, once again, now we've got lots of punk kids that look just like when we were making fun of the hippie kids, you know, kind of type thing that are just literally have that complete cartoon costume on, you know, like this is, you know, this is punk, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, but, uh, I, I think a lot of the kids that whatever they're going to call it next, those kids are trying to get away from punk. You know what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say? They're trying, I mean, it's, it's that DIY idea of I'm going to do what I want to do, which is what punk was. That's what hippie was. That's what, you know, once again, all those things that making sense. So it's not yeah. so much that you're looking back at punk. It's more like you just, I, I want to do this. I can't do it here, here, here. I'm going to do it over here. And, all of a sudden, here we go. And you get other people that are now, oh, I want to do that, too. I'm going to make a bet. And you get a scene and then you get a name and it, just all this stuff starts up again. So, yeah. And that's and that to me what is what punk is. It's not a defined yeah. sound. It's it's a bunch of kids being like, OK, well, screw you. I'm going to do it over here and do it yeah. like this. And that's and that's what just keeps perennially happening, you know, and I think eventually like now I'm, I'm, I'm not this person, but at one point I was that person in punk that looked at the bands kind of the generation before me and be like, well, screw yeah. you. I'm not going to do it like that. I'm going to do it like yeah. this and, and did house shows. And well, and that's, and that's where I, that's why I'm saying, like, like you said before, you've seen me, I don't really, the punk thing I kind of shy away from now is because to me, that's not punk that's DIY. And punk was a was something that came from DIY and whatever all this other stuff happens is coming from DIY. It's not necessarily coming from punk. It's coming from because punk now has boundaries and barriers. And what people are trying to do now is trying to get away from having any kind of boundary or barrier on them. So, so to me, that's the only difference between what me and you are saying is to me, it's like, no, it's coming from DIY. It's not coming from punk. So, you know. Yeah, no, I think I think the thing is also it's it's hard to, you know, I think look where it's come and where where it's at now and, yeah. and and see how it still relates to what it was. But at the same time, like, I think that's what makes it so fascinating to study is because it's so unique in the way it kind of is taken up and still taken up weirdly. Like the fact that that may be why the skating thing, like we were talking about earlier, there is like a division in skating. Cause especially now with it being in the Olympics, you've yeah. got people that are wanting to be like, we're going to, you know, making a name or whatever kind of thing and stuff. But you also have that whole crew that's just skating. Cause it's a self-expression like surfing, you know, surfing's the same thing, you know, where you've got the one crew and then you've got the other crew that do the contest and magazines and all that kind of, you know, it's just, so you do have, some sort of a division going on there and stuff. But, but I think with skating, they can't really define it. You know, it's like, it, because, because it is such a self-expression thing that they can't really, you can't just fall into line and okay, yeah, now I'm a skateboarder, you know, because it's, it's everything from sliding on curbs to just going down a hill to being in a pool to like, there's just so many aspects of it. Is that making sense? Whereas punk is kind of a little bit more, it's so defined at this point that you can say, oh yeah, I'm going to start a punk band. I'm going to do that, you know, kind of tie. Is that making sense? I think it makes sense, but I think, I think you could say, I'm going to start a punk band and then it's like, okay, what is it going to sound like? Because it could literally sound like anything. I guess the only thing that's defined by is a little bit of aggression, you know, and not necessarily yeah. violent aggression, but like sort of like discontent or, or something. Cause that seems to be the thing that, always rings with all these bands even if they're super happy and, and celebratory there's like sort of a discontentment with 
the status quo that kind yeah, of yeah. comes across. Our discontentment, just, our discontentment with the scene, which I always yeah. thought was pretty funny too, you yeah. know, because she had white flag, you know, black flag and then white flag, you know, that did the opposite of everything black flag did, you know, which is pretty funny. So, well, but yeah. It's also the self-referential right out of the gate, right? Like on Fun, 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 where it's like, uh, like you know, talking about Champ 69 and the Cockney Rejects and then talking about Joy Division and Public Image. Like, you know, like it it references itself like the, um, what is it? Uh, Pillsbury Hardcore has that song, Let Me Come Over and See Your Record Collection. Yeah. You know, it's it's very much like, I don't, it, it, that's what I think it's very interesting because it, it it's so self-aware. It's painfully self-aware at times, punk rock, yeah. which, which also makes it so interesting because... So much of rock and roll is about a complete lack of self-awareness. Yeah. You know, there's two there's two things I'll tell you about Fun Fun. Chris wrote Fun Fun Fun, and it totally is a ripoff of the Cockney Rejects song. That's why he says it's it's a ripoff kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, but we changed Cockney Rejects to Minor Threat as the greatest band. That's what we started singing and stuff. And the other thing that's funny about it is at one point, this was like in the 2000s or something. We had a friend that was with us in the car and and something came up where I guess he must have said, I'm a punk or something. And Beth just kind of went, and I like sham. And and the kid kind of looked at Beth and was like, what? And she's going, oh, it's just every time I hear somebody say something like that, I just, that's what I think. You know, it's that song kind of thing. Is that what they were singing? And, and she's like, yeah, what do you think they were singing? She, he said, well, Biscuit was gay. I thought it was I like Cher. And I just thought, okay, that's the fucking greatest like." <laughs> That would also make that song, you know, even reflect its point more, you know. <laughs> that, um, but uh, one thing I did want to talk to you about in, in regards to that sort of, you know, vision of, of music, like where did that kind of come from? Is, is that just like the fact that you guys are all coming from different points to punk rock? Like, is that you're bringing it into that or is that like a, a conscious thing to play all different types of music? No, but it was, you would hear stuff and it's like, oh, that's really cool. Let's do something like that. Or let's like try to write something like that. You know, it just wasn't, mm -hmm. once again, there wasn't a set, oh, we're going to sound like this, you know, kind of thing. That's what I always thought was really funny about like when the crust core bands and all that really got going and, and all that, because, you know, here comes a band from Sweden. So they have a bunch of other crust core bands play with. Them. Well, the crowd is going to come no matter what, because this band from Sweden's there. So you're going to have all the, so get some other kind of band to play yeah. because yeah. yeah, I know that there's going to be a bunch of kids who are like, man, fuck this. I don't like this, but there's going to be that one kid that's going to see the rockabilly band or whatever and just go, Ooh, this is kind of cool kind of thing. And you may turn into another genre, you know, you may yeah. have some yeah. kind of crust core rockabilly thing or something, you know, which would be freaking amazing. You know, it's, it's just, it's funny that people, just try to stay in those lines and those divisions with stuff, you know, whereas back, I mean, obviously there were probably some bands doing that, but I mean, where, especially in Texas, nobody, I mean, look at buttholes, you know, oh, it's exactly. just like, it's all over the freaking map. And it's just because, I mean, I think the only thing that really stayed true with them was psychedelics and mushrooms and stuff, you know, so other than that, it wasn't, you, you didn't worry that, Ooh, this doesn't really sound like us. You know, I don't want to do this kind of thing. You just did. If you liked it, you did it. You know, that was that was punk. That was you know what it was. Um, well, I also love the fact that yeah, like you have culture side, you have di dri. You know, you have like and culture side. They he he had an art show. The main guy that's in culture side, and I can't remember what his name is. I'm horrible with names. Like, uh, but 
it was great. And he had it at the, the um, Museum of Fine, like the, the Modern Art Museum in Houston, like a big freaking deal. I mean, this yeah. is a huge thing, right? And he had the whole bottom floor, right? And so Mark Flood, I think that's what his name is, right? I think so, I think actually, so. yeah. And so you go in, it's all this stuff and it's all, just all this crazy shit everywhere. And in all the crazy shit that's on the wall, there's a, a rejection letter and it's so, God, it's so fucking great because it's in the modern art museum and it's a rejection letter from some little gallery in Houston, just like going, Oh, this is not acceptable. We, we can't have this in art gallery kind of type thing. And then <laughs> here it is in the fucking, it's just like, okay, that's the bet. Like, <laughs> that's punk rock. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You bring up 84, 85 and like, talking to the dino junior guys they say it's when every band tried to start sounding like minor threat like the impact of minor threat getting popular where all the bands were like this is what we sound like that's why uh lou barlow is, is very vocal about not liking committed for life by seven seconds because he feels like that's when they decided to start sounding like minor threat i disagree i love that record but <laughs> he is very adamant about that being like a, a big turnoff yeah. for for him and, and and those guys you know and i think that's it's funny like how that's when it starts getting codified. It's not minor threats fault, obviously. And even ultimately they reject that at a certain yeah. point, yeah, yeah. but it's amazing how that influence kind of spreads, but it never hits Texas like that. Like it feels like that independent spirit is running through these bands. Like, yeah. I mean, it's on, and it kind of, and it was kind of like that all the way. I mean, you know, recently I haven't really, we haven't been going out as much just because I've been traveling a bunch in art and all this kind of thing going on. So I feel kind of hypocritical because I really feel like people should go out and support all this stuff. But we just, but then again, you have to realize from 78 all the way until mid 2000s, we were going out pretty much every freaking night and like going to all this stuff and everything. But even up until like riverboat gamblers and stuff, you know, they didn't, like Texas bands seem to stick out like sore thumbs for better or worse when they go out of state, just because it's a different, it's like you're saying, it's a completely different attitude here about, you know, about what you're doing and the freedom of it and how you present it. And just, you know, I mean, the yeah. best thing with the riverboat gamblers was I don't think Mike's ever on the stage, you know, it's like, he's crawling all over the bar and up on the roof. And like, I just, I mean, it's great. I mean, that's Texas, you know, it's like, yeah. there you go. So, you know, and there's also like a, a love of Texas music. Like I could talk to Riley from Power Trip about you guys, or I could talk to the guys from Iron Age about you guys, you know, like yeah. there's a uh, a lineage there that's not, like you're saying, like the Riverboat Gamblers sound nothing at all like Power yeah. Trip or Iron Age, but there's this respect for where they come from. And like this sort of like, you know, once again, like, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I know you don't like the word, but this is why I love about the word is because there is that sort of, like you're saying in skateboarding, there's this respect for history. Yeah. It happens in punk rock where you have people like looking at like we're part of something. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and once again, like I told you, I'm totally honored and I'm humbled and I'll talk to anybody about all the stuff that happened before. It just is, it's like I'm saying, it's just a little bit depressing to me when that they it's like when you have conversations with people. It's it's a this is a good analogy. And it's like, and you can tell when lights are on or lights are out in their eyes when you're talking because if you're talking about so-and-so and they're really into that lights on and they're sitting there and then if you go off into some other subject that they don't really know or care about or whatever they're being polite but lights out you can just see it you know it's like because they don't you know but let's go back to some, you know that kind of well, yeah. I want you to rest assured that if my my eyes turn, it's because I'm referring to this pages of notes I have over here beside me of stuff I want to ask you about. Because, like, <laughs> we're spending so much time talking about this stuff. And believe me, I could spend the rest of my life talking about this stuff, too. But, like, 
the reality is like this is just like a small sliver of your musical journey like poison 13 to me like i remember buying that record and just being like what the hell is this and and just turning me completely on my ear and yeah like we could i could also spend like hours talking about that too but uh i think like that transition and the fact that you know you're constantly making those transitions to these different sort of like different ways of taking the music up is is fascinating to me and there's that's why it's just it's 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 going back to you asking why did you know why did the big boys do this that or the other style wise it's just it's 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 all coming from the same place so to me it all totally makes sense like you know big boys poison 13 bad mother goose jack all those bands there's a line running through it all it doesn't it, it was not me like going okay well i did that so now i want to do something no it's just that like you know by the time it hit lord high fixers i was so into free jazz and stuff that we started bringing that in you know we started bringing more of that in and having ken vandermark play and just just because it's there's no rule there, there shouldn't be any rules to any of this stuff you know it's just you, you're really kind of chopping off a finger as soon as you start trying to you know get into that little you know barriers that people have set up oh no you can't do that it's got to be like this you know i mean think about skating look at all this craziness that's going on now with skating that's just like there's no way in hell people would have ever thought anybody's going to be sliding down some handrail or something like that back then you know what i'm saying but if 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 it would have stuck with no that's not skating you need to do you know, and actually a really good example of that is, is Mullins, Rodney Mullins, because I remember when he was doing all the crazy freestyle stuff and people were just like, that's circus tricks. That's not skating. That's kind of t-. And now look that he's literally the godfather of all the shit going on now, which is, you know, it's amazing what everybody's doing now. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's not it, it all stems from all that stuff he was doing back, you know, when he was doing the freestyle stuff. So. Um, I heard you talk about the fact that there used to be like a real division. Like obviously now it's, and they're still like, they're not the same, obviously, but there's like a, a kind of like less a division between BMX and skateboarding. But I heard you talk about the fact that it used to be kind of like gang oh, warfare yeah, at times. To, yeah. And Steve talked about it too, when he was on the show in California. It's, it's interesting how there was such an intense divide. Almost like it's rollerblading. Well, I mean, it wasn't like anybody's going to fight, but it's just like, there just wasn't, the two worlds did not meet. It was like completely, t- it's almost like, in a different way because they aren't yelling at us and stuff like that but like i always thought it was really funny with with the hippie crew because the the old hippies who their whole you know philosophy was like oh everybody do what you want to do and let's all dress like we want to dress they were the most vocal about punk rock i mean it was freaking amazing like they were so fucking pissed off about this new thing coming like it was just and i remember there was a time where in front of the ritz um, Biscuit was outside because he was friends with a lot of the old poster makers from the, you know, the 60s shows and all that. Um, and he's with that guy. I can't remember what this guy's name is, but the guy that, that did that really famous, the armadillo coming out of B.B. King, you know, oh, the yeah. painting of that you know, kind of deal. <laughs> and it was great. They're standing in front of the Ritz and that guy, his veins are sticking out of his neck. I mean, he is just screaming at Biscuit and just like, you've ruined it you've ruined Austin, you've ruined it kind of thing. And Biscuit's being super calm, just looking at him going, it's still art, it's still art kind of thing. You know, you've ruined it, you've completely ruined Austin. You know, kind of, it's just, it's just, so the BMX stuff, it wasn't that intense, but it just wasn't, 
it, it's like they, that's probably the story you heard when I first met Matt. You know, it's like I, I didn't have a clue who this guy was, you know, just because I done I didn't ride a bike. I didn't know anything about BMX people and stuff, you know. So when I first met Matt, I didn't know. And then, you know, he's going off about bands that I was in and just, you know, telling me about Jeff Phillips and all this kind of stuff, which was great. I was super honored and all this kind of thing. But when I went home from D.C., because we were at Ian's 50th birthday party, when we came home from D.C., we watched that thing on Netflix about him. And it was just like, holy shit, this is like... (laughs) So it just wasn't... Yeah, it's the same sort. The other thing that's funny about skating, too, is like at some point, like for the longest time, skaters seemed to be more my size. So you didn't have like these tall kind of like fashion looking guys and all these really. I mean, the only tall people that were really skating was like some of the Texas guys like Jeff Phillips and Craig and stuff like that were kind of these big, tall guys, you know. And then I don't know, something happened like in the early 2000s, I guess, kind of thing where they switched and all of a sudden these skaters are like these really tall, like. <laughs> uh, it's the vitamins. It's those, I look at my kids now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be dwarfed by yeah, these there's a, there, you, you keep bringing Cab up. There's a funny story. I don't think I've ever told this one just because I don't know how he's going to take this, but like, and, and we're, you know, I don't know him, know him, but we're friends and you yeah, know, kind of back and He forth brought you up on the show, so. And, he, and he's a nice guy and stuff and all that. But I just remember one of the first times I really met him was like, I don't know, have you heard this story yet or not? Like the, the, uh, we so. were playing, it was during the, the skate rock shows. And what had happened was the week before these things started, Ian and his brother, Alec, were doing kind of an on the road trip. They were just kind of going across America and they came and stayed here for like a week, you know, with me and Beth and stuff. Cause we've been family for a long time and like, and, uh, and so, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to L.A. and we're going to be playing at the, I think it was might have been the Starwood or something was the place in L.A. And then we played in San Francisco and stuff. And we're going to play. And, yeah, we'll put you on list if you want to come. And, you know, just let me know and kind of thing. So we leave the next weekend to go to this show, right? So, okay. And it was right when break dancing had gotten kind of, everybody was trying to break dance, like especially all the skaters were all trying to figure out how to break dance and stuff and everything. So it was sound check. And I was sitting on the stage and I'm watching people break dancing, you know, like trying to do it and stuff. And Cab is sitting not right next to me, but he's, you know, probably about two people down or one or something, because it's just me and him and maybe somebody else a little further down. And I look over and realize that it's Cab. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you know, okay. Hey, how are you doing? Kind of thing. It's not, just not going to say anything. Doesn't, you know, just not being like, fuck you, but he's just not not even, you know, ignore it kind of type thing. <laughs> yeah. So whatever, you know, kind of. And the next thing I know, like somebody's on top of me, I'm on top of them, they're on top of me. And what had happened was Ian and Alec had come in through the back door and then jumped me, you know, just to kind of surprise. So we're rolling <laughs> saying, oh, you're here. Okay, this is funny. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you're going to go eat. Okay, well, I'll make sure you guys are on the list and kind of sit back down start watching breakdancing again right but then i noticed somebody's doing what you're doing to me right now just like staring kind of looking like and in his cab and cab's looking over at me and i just kind of like look at him he's just like was that ian mckay and i'm just like yeah you know kind of things do you know him i'm like yeah like that and it's like okay now he wants to talk you know (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, he said he said Minor Threat was his band. So I guess that's one of those things. Everyone's got their weak point. No one can keep that steely exterior around their hero. Oh, Minutemen Minute Men were right up there with them. I mean, Minute, Minor Threat and Minutemen were the two bands where I don't care how fucked up that PA was and how bad everything sounded. When they played, it sounded fucking unbelievable. And the next time they came, it was better. It was always better every time they came, you know, yeah. which is just like, oh, my God, this is like, this is amazing. I mean, men and men were pretty freaking amazing, too. So, you know, I remember you I mean, there's a lot of bands like, you know, there's a whole bunch of bands that were really great. So I remember you telling me um, that the first time you guys met JFA, there was like this weird feeling out period where you guys were at first sort of like, OK, well, he, I mean, deal? And and since then he's told like that you know how we've been doing that thing at the school like you yeah. need to come to that one of those times. I'd love to. COVID's love over, to. so you can be part of this whole thing and stuff. But but he uh, they, they had a they had an art. They started now like we I've done it for the last ten years. It's Eric and uh, they do it at a um, God, what's the name of that elementary school? I can't. I'm gonna have Alzheimer's so bad when I get old. I swear to I God. Can put in the, I can uh, put in the intro. But. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's really great what he's doing and getting all the kids and stuff. And so we've been doing murals and just playing with the kids music and all this kind of stuff. And then the last two times they started um, doing art shows. Hago started having art shows in Cerritos Junior College. Like so, the, so all the people that are part of the program, you know, have an art show and then all of a sudden and Brian was there and he he kind of came out and corrected this one, which I thought was pretty funny because it wasn't even me like he the, because the story I always was telling was that like when we like we all skated. And so it wasn't like, oh, we're a skate rock band. It's just we all skated and we played in a band. And then when Mofo did these this you know wild riders of boards, he was going to do. He had been doing articles with that kind of this cartoon kind of story thing that he was writing. And uh, and then they wanted to interview us, but he decided to turn it into this story, which was Wild Riders of Boards. And we were the band and we had a pet armadillo and all this kind of stuff. And that's where I think you first kind of see skate rock. And he kind of because Mofo is the one that coined that phrase and everything. So then once that kind of got out and there was like, now there's, here's another genre skate rock kind of thing. Like, and people were writing about it and all this kind of stuff. You had all these bands that were just like, well, our drummer skates, we're skate rock. We're skate. You know, everybody trying to get in on that, which was like, and it pissed Brian and them off. This is what I always thought. Well, I know this part of it's true because that's why he wrote that letter. Like, yeah. and so he, he wrote a letter to Thrasher, and you have to realize Thrasher back then was not what Thrasher is now. Thrasher was like a fanzine that yeah. kind of turned into a flip side kind of magazine, but it was not what it is now at all, you know, kind of thing. And so he wrote a letter to him, and basically what it was, it was they were getting ready to go on their tour. Now, we didn't, the, the letter didn't come out until after they'd come through Austin. So I didn't have a clue what, you know, at the time, but, uh, but basically the letter was calling out all these bands and it was like going, okay, we're coming to your town and we're going to go skate. And if you don't skate, we're calling you out. We're going to do, we're going to say like, this is not, you know, the, you're, you're telling a lie, you know, whatever kind of thing. And so when they came to Austin, I think we were the first place maybe that they came like from, they, they might've played someplace else, but, um, you know, they, they skate. So we take them to Pflugerville. It's like, oh boy, skaters, we'll go to Pflugerville and we kind of thing. And we get out, we all start skating and they're just kind of sitting, 
you know, kind of type thing. And so, yeah, I didn't think much about it other than, you know, well, they're on tour, they probably don't want to, you know, break something or whatever. And they, and then they, you know, finally started skating or whatever. Right. So, and then I saw the letter. And so then I always thought that's what was going on was they were watching us to see like, okay, yeah, you skate. Okay. You, you're skate. But Brian told later when we were in Cerritos, there were people talking about this or whatever. And Brian was just laughing. He's going, man, we were all stoned. Like we weren't really, we weren't judging anybody. We were stoned. <laughs> <laughs> um, i guess jfa wasn't straight edge then. <laughs> no no that's not I, you don't hear a, a lot about the straight edge bands out of that whole phoenix scene it seems like that was a decidedly not <laughs> you, know, do you know when minor threat went across the canadian border that first time they were the band that the canadian border decided had drugs and they had they were there for i don't know how many hours and they went through everything in the van they were convinced this was the band that had drugs you know? <laughs> that, that probably served so many bands well afterwards <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh no that's probably like this other band we spent hours searching yeah. them they're fine um but uh, another band I wanted to ask you about who you've brought up a couple times, just because I've heard so many stories and there's also a legendary live record, but the Huns, they seem like, you know, obviously they get arrested in Dallas and the guy kisses the cop. Yeah. Um, and well, that we, happened in Austin. That was, well, that's that was Austin. Raul's. Yeah. That was Raul. So cop came in and then he, I wasn't there. I just know that that's what, what all happened. So cop came in and, and kind of saw what was going Cause once again, you know, back then people didn't know what the hell was, what this was. And so the cop, I, I can't, you should talk to them or somebody, there's something written all about it of, mm -hmm. of what exactly went down, but he ends up kissing the cop when the cops stand up, they're trying to get him to do something. And then they all got arrested and stuff, you know, kind of thing. So that, and that was pretty early, early on. So that made it into Rolling Stone and all this kind of stuff. And that's why all of a sudden you had like bands like Patti Smith and the cramps and everybody coming through Austin, because at that point in time, literally all there was was new york la san francisco you know people didn't realize there was all this other you know, the other stuff hadn't really started up that much yet so that makes mm -hmm. sense and then mm -hmm. so they realized oh wait austin there's a good midpoint we can go there and then go you know to the other place um yeah it was what i was talking to kathy valentine when she was on the show about the violators and kind of like going to rawls for the first time and playing that show with the skunks and like that being one of the first shows and just how like it does seem like it comes you know it's not like 77 when it starts happening yeah. but it, it but when it starts happening in austin it's like it's diy out of the gate like it doesn't seem like it was uh i don't know like because maybe because there's not as much music industry in regards to like rock music there but it feels like it yeah, yeah there wasn't yeah yeah there wasn't any of that really here so there at least at the time you know kind of done. and there actually wasn't any of that all the way into the 90s really i mean that's you know they they always kept going, man, when it's, Austin's going to be the next big thing, you know, kind of deal. But it was just there wasn't really any kind of music industry or there's just lots of bands here, you mm -hmm. know, kind of thing. So, yeah, but there's yeah. always been like like so many bands out of there. Like it's always been vibrant. Like there's never a drop off point in the scene there, at least like, you know, looking at it historically. Like I didn't start going there till, you know, early 2000s. But like it yeah. just feels like there's always, you know, like it's 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 the punk stuff. And then it's sort of like you know, sort of like the, the hodgepodge of everything kind of scene. And then there's the emos kind of fuck emos and all that sort of garage rock stuff. And then it just feels like there's always stuff coming out of that city. 
Yeah, because it's like I'm saying, there's all the, the people that are here are kind of more. Now it's starting to change because it's it's getting like San Francisco and a bunch of those places where it's like anything. You know, you get all the creative people, they get something going, everybody wants to come. Then all of a sudden, everybody wants to move there. The rent goes real high. Everybody starts moving in, everything changes, and the people that are creative can't afford to be there anymore. So they're out. And now you've got people that are just kind of doing what they think they're supposed to do as opposed to just these i mean there's definitely pockets just like there are you know where you are everywhere else but yeah for the most part it's not really the same like it used to be at all there you know once again there's definitely bands here that are doing stuff that's pretty great but um well, you, yeah. need, you need cheap space for this stuff to happen like you need yeah, yeah. That, no, that, that, and that's what i'm saying it's so expensive yeah. here now that it's just like it's i mean we've been here for so i mean i've been here since 74 so we've been here for so long that like you know that there's really especially with all the freaking laws going on right now that are happening it's like you know i told beth if abbott gets reelected, then we probably should move we should probably get out of here kind of type thing because there's nothing really keeping us here anymore other than just convenience you know it's just like that and and uh you know, it'd be cool to live down by the beach or something like that, or I don't know. Who knows? I'm sure we'll be here for the rest of time. So who knows? So, and now plus Mike's in the backyard, you know, because we have Mike's uh, ashes are in, underneath the tree in the yeah. backyard. So we probably aren't leaving, you know, for that. So yeah, no. Uh, it, 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 I was when I was first introduced to you. You were introduced to me as the mayor, the unofficial mayor of Austin so i, I was it, yeah so i think <laughs> that's like we always say that we keep saying that pud that used to be in the quadra jets which was a really fucking yeah. great fan great band, uh, we always yeah. say he's the mayor of lafayette because they, they moved to lafayette louisiana and i swear i don't even think it was a month and like and as soon as you'd be with him everybody in the town's like oh hey pud hey you kind of thing so it's just like oh my god like <laughs> um how did the, the transition because it's right right after big boys you do poison 13 right or did, is there overlap at all or no a little bit of overlap there was never really uh a break until yeah. um that first monkey wrench record there was a summer like where i wasn't going to do anything and then jack of fire started up at the end of that summer and then there was never a break again like it just it just get, and people were always laughing because i every single band i'd be like okay well this is it this is i'm not doing anything after this kind of deal and it just kept so by the time now time a delegation started i quit saying it i just was just like okay it's just whatever happens happens you know because i wasn't necessarily against it it was just kind of like holy shit i can't believe this is still you know like i don't know i was i was i guess i was fairly amazed that it got to the point that it did and that you know even now sitting here talking with you on this freaking podcast i mean it's just kind of amazing because it's just one foot in front of the other and you're doing stuff you like you know and it's just kind of pretty humbling that you know people actually like it and want to hear stories and all this kind of stuff about it so yeah, yeah. oh i find it but at the same time and i keep saying this all the time and i think that's what i, I said to a bunch of the kids at the touch and go thing it's like you know, I'm not dead yet. So it's like, I, I hope I haven't seen the best thing yet. You know, I, I, I can't imagine not living where that's not how you are, you know, that you, you're, you're hoping to see, you want to see the best thing, you know, you haven't, I mean, I've seen a bunch of pretty freaking amazing stuff, but I hope I haven't seen the best one yet, you know, kind of deal. So, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I thought uh, there's that John Peel documentary and he talks about 
the scariest or saddest thing in his life is the thought that he's going to pass away and he's not going to have heard the best record ever yet. Oh yeah. And you aren't going to hear the best record ever. You know, it's just not going to happen because there's always something else coming up or coming. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's humbling in that regard too. Like it makes you realize that like, you know, like as much as punk is a continuum, like all of this music and culture is a continuum and you're just like a small part of it. But the fact that, you know, these impacts are felt right. Like these ripples are felt from, you know, like, well, well, Poison 13, you have like a whole other people that are influenced, a whole other set of bands that are influenced by what you guys did with Poison 13 that probably yeah. aren't influenced by the big boys. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of amazing because it's, you know, I hate, like, it's weird for me on interviews and these kind of shows when I have to write something about me or whatever kind of deal, because, you know, I, I don't really like vacuum cleaner salesmen and I'm not real <laughs> crazy about people that are just like, well, I did Tonto and I've done Tonto and I'm sure you've interviewed people like that, you know, like, oh yeah, that was me. I did so Yeah, it's just, you'd have to be fairly vain to think that whatever you're getting ready to do or you're doing is, oh, this is going to change everything, you know, kind of, it's just like, whatever, you know, it's just, I'm just not, but the reality is, is, you know, I've kind of done a whole lot of stuff, you know, and like, and then once again, but not dead yet. So who knows what, what's coming up, you know, it's like, and I'm not looking at it in the sense of like, oh man, what can I do to get into juxtapose or get into whatever? It's just, I just do, which I kind of think everybody should do. You know, everybody should to you know, do some sort of their own self-expression. Everybody should do it. And me, you, you know, friends of ours and stuff, we're all living proof of like, you don't have a freaking clue what's going to happen once something goes out. You don't, you, but people did not like Poison 13 here. Like it just was like, we were way too punk rock for the blues crowd. We were way too blues for the punk rock crowd because in the middle of, what is it, what is it, here we are playing spoonful and just really drunk and just like this whole other kind of thing. So you had like a core, you know, at this point, everybody acts like they love this band, but at home in reality, we had like 20 people at shows maybe. And there are, everybody's all drunk and it's just a whole different thing. And you had, you know, that was the crew that really liked us because you had, you know, the stuff that I was saying already going on, like the, you know, two blues, two punk kind of thing. And then you also had the whole crew that thought that we had started poison 13 to kick biscuit out. And uh, this was the new big boys. And it's like, no, that's that's not at all what happened. Like the, we, we came back from that tour. We decided we were going to take a break. Uh, everybody wanted to be in bands. Chris was going to start some kind of crazy Metallica kind of sounding band, I guess, or something. And, uh, and Mike, who was really shy, uh, asked me like he wanted to be in a band really bad, but he was too... And I said, well, let's just, let's, you tell me what you want to play. Let's do that. And I'll write some stuff like that. And we'll play Continental Club one time, be your night. And let's, I mean, same thing like big boys. We'll play one night. Let's see what happens kind of type thing. And then it just, you know, and I, until I went to do Monkey Ranch, I had no idea that that was such a big freaking band in Seattle. Like I had no clue. Like we didn't know any of that here. Like we only played here and West Coast. That's all we ever did. We toured up to the West Coast and came back and we would play with like Tex and the Horseheads and Screaming Sirens and those kind of bands and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I mean, nobody had a clue, you know, kind of thing. So, well, it's like you kind of kind of be hated 
you know, at first, because people got to catch up to what you're doing. Like for a band to be a band that people remember and be impactful, like it comes up time and time again on the show. Like the bands that are, are important and memorable, people don't like it first or don't necessarily understand it first because. Yeah. Well, ben, Chris used to wear a jacket that said hated and proud for the Poison 13 stuff. So I thought that was pretty funny. Is that yeah. why you guys did the record on Wrestler Records? Because, you know, there's not much going on in Austin at the time or you guys weren't. No, we start. we kind of started up and then there was a guy working at, I, I think it was, I think Sound Exchange was going by that point. In fact, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty positive it was. And, uh, and Jeff Cordner worked at Sound Exchange and he liked us a whole lot and he wanted to start up a label. So he's, he started up uh, Wrestler and that was the poison that's the two poison 13 records were on there and then they got pressed in france i think and they're on some other like new disc or something like that i can't remember what it's called but uh we're on that label too so i thought it was headed like for some reason in a los angeles mailing address at some point Russell. well now because now he lives in la oh that's right there. yeah yeah so <laughs> yeah so that's probably what yeah so. that explains it so who was the punk scene at that point you mentioned like your two you know, bluesy for the punk crowd. Like what was, where was punk kind of going at that point in Austin? Well, this is probably, Sam horrible with the date stuff because all this runs yeah, into yeah. each other. It's yeah. like, this is probably, uh, this must've been 84-ish maybe because Bad Mother Goose started around 86-ish and there wasn't really a, and also with Bad Mother Goose or something, if people want to go back and look at that, Billy, and I'm sure, you know, hopefully Kathy said something about this, because I know she said it in her book, but that, that song Vacation is written about Billy, and Billy's one of the, the white singer, male singer in Bad Mother Goose, that's Billy. So if you want to see who Kathy had, who Vacation's written about, go and see the Bad Mother stuff. And he was in a really great band called The Inserts, and, uh, and then he, he, was, he was in the original one of the original bands was Boy Problems with the Huns and all that, and he was he was in that, and he was like this total Billy Idol looking you know kid and stuff, and uh, yeah. So that's when she comes I guess, back. I think she talks about it in the books like she leaves Austin, goes to LA, and then comes back and 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 meets him and has that uh, has an affair with him then, or does she? That the guy she meets at the Sex Pistols show. I have no idea. I can't remember how. Okay. I just I just remember hearing the story that I always thought was pretty funny that Vacation <laughs> was written about Billy. So, but in all the shows shows you, you know, like yeah. what we're talking about now, how all this stuff is just connected, and it's like, you know, it never. I don't but, know. And that's the thing that's amazing too, is because it's like so much of scenes and, and music, and now it's changed, right? The internet's changed everything, but like with punk like before punk and stuff like it's so much local like there's a local scene and a local sound and obviously it's local with scenes and sounds but at the same time there's this international network where you know you you know ian and you are influencing what he ultimately winds up doing you know and he's like going around influencing the guys in seven seconds and you know like yeah. it, everyone's connected like it's an international like doa you know was was down yeah. there in the mix too well that's right? what so, i'm saying doa and black flag definitely were the ones that kind of opened up all the doors through everything and gave everybody all the addresses and all that kind of stuff they're the they're the two main bands that really kind of started a lot of this stuff or at least opened up all this stuff to you know kids to play and things so yeah DOA talks about where well, Joey's been on the show a bunch and he talks about going to Texas and and you know the big boys and just how different Texas was than other scenes like yeah. it seems like that was such a and they're there really early too they're out there on one yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so I mean that you know it's funny because we're we're kind of like we're not on the top tier 
we're kind of on that third tier. Like you kind of have to dig a little bit to find and figure out about big boys and stuff and or even boys at 13 and everything. But for some reason, we're kind of in most of these people's history, which is kind of amazing to me and pretty, you know, once again, super humbled and honored by that. But it's just funny to me that we kind of always seem to keep coming up in other people's, you know, histories about what's going on or whatever. So, I don't know. Well, I think you're the band that, you know, uh, brings a lot of the freedom to hardcore, you know, and brings a lot of the experimentation to a genre that at the time, you know, and, and, and at times still is is very rigid in what you can and can't do. And the big boys were always a part of it. And I guess the butthole surfers, but they don't seem as much a part of it as you guys do, obviously. Well, I think buttholes, I don't think buttholes were quite as community oriented, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Like they were just doing their own thing and doing what they do. But I don't think they were, you know, I mean, we, you know, we definitely were really trying to, to get other people to start bands and we were the ones kind of opening up a lot of, you know, finding places for people to play and finding halls. And there were some other bands doing it too, like Offenders and stuff like that. But mm. but we, we were definitely seemed to be, I mean, at one point they even had, they posted uh, our phone number in Maximum Rock and Roll. And this was before Book Your Own Band or anything, but this is back. So you would literally have people calling you at like four in the morning. Just like, Hey, what's going on? What are you doing? It's like, well, I'm asleep. Like what the, where are you? Like Boston, you know, kind of just you know, this crazy. So, so we were kind of the, the band to, you know, get in touch with if you were coming through here. So. Yeah. Yeah. It very, uh, it, it, it seems very much that way. I want to ask you about someone who probably I can imagine had a different view on community was Bobby Sox. And oh, yeah, and- his stuff was great. He, <laughs> He, he was, I didn't really know him that good, but definitely, yeah, he's, he's definitely kind of one of the crazy, he's kind of almost like, it's kind of almost Gigi Allen-ish, yeah. but not quite that completely over the top. You know, like the, the thing about Gigi Allen that I always think is really funny is that it, everybody talks about um, performance art and kind of stuff. And, oh, I'm a performance artist. And I was kind of say, well, it's like, no, you're not. So, Gigi Allen, there it is right there. And if you're not doing that, then I'm sorry, you're not, because you've got <laughs> rules and you're not, you know, they act like, oh, anything goes when we're up on stage doing what it's like, no, it's not, you know, but with him, yeah, you know, kind of thing. There's also that, uh, there was a skater that I did, um, they're, they're on a, I want to say Creature, I'm not sure what, I, I can't remember what, uh, but it's Al, and I don't know how I say his last name, so I'm embarrassed about that, but Al Partain, Part, Partian, something is one of the pro skaters that were on this, and they wanted, and I think it is Creature, and uh, and he wanted me to do uh, a board for him, you know, because I've done some boards and stuff for Crooked and you know different different places, and uh, they um, and so I said, oh, okay, you know, and I'm always honored when people ask and everything, and I and I said, well, who who's somebody that influenced you? Who's who's somebody that you? Uh, Gigi Allen, you know, I went, oh, man, I yeah, I, I have to tell you right now that like. I give him props for the performance art stuff. And I think, but I just was never that into this. Like I just wasn't into what was going on and stuff. And I don't really want to open up that can of worms and start drawing, you know, kind of. And uh, and he was like, oh man, he was kind of bummed and Creature was kind of bummed. And they were all just like, man, we just thought it'd be really great if, you know, we had a Tim piece of art that was like, and then I realized I kind of had this, because I felt bad, you know, and I had kind of this epiphany of like, oh, wait a minute, what, what if I draw you? like Al, 
with a Gigi Allen shirt on. And so that's what I ended up doing. So it's like a, it's, it's him. And then underneath it's Gigi Allen like this, you know, like, the, like he's got a t-shirt on of him and stuff. So have you, that's have what you heard, I ended up doing. So. Have you heard of this wrestler Darby Allen? No. He's a pro wrestler right now in AEW who's getting extremely popular, like almost breaking through to another level of popularity right now on TV. Um, but he is named after Darby Crash and Gigi Allen, but he is a hundred percent a skateboarder. Like that's his oh, whole that's thing. Pretty wild. He, yeah, yeah. he does moves in the ring, uses the skateboard as a weapon in the ring. And oh, I actually have seen, yeah, I saw something where I, something came up where I saw somebody slamming a skateboard on top of somebody in the wrestling. Yeah, that's, that's him. Pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Now so the wrestling, awesome. you know, the funny thing about the wrestling stuff is like it got really big in the early eighties with all the punk rock, like the hardcore crew, like like Bob Mould was really into it, and Glenn and all them, you know, Misfits yeah. and all that kind of stuff and everything. And I just so the only wrestling that I really know about is like the the Kabuki guy. And I just remember those guys, the Road Warriors, because the Road Warriors, it was really freaking amazing because you could tell. And I think that's why they didn't last that long. You could tell they were really like fucking with people or fucking up people and stuff, because you'd see you'd see them like slam somebody down and you'd see that person with this look on their face like, holy shit, like you're not supposed to. And they just. I, mean, I don't know. I always thought that was pretty great and pretty funny. Like when they showed up, because it's like, okay, here we go. This is kind of. <laughs> but I remember the Kabuki like spraying all that glitter and shit all over the place and you know, stuff like that. So yeah, like it, it, there's a lot of like weird intersections between punk and wrestling. I find just because they both kind of subvert what they're a part of with wrestling. It's sport and with punk, it's it's rock and roll. Yeah. Like they, they both kind of turn them on their head and kind of expose the machinations behind them in a weird way but punk rest has taken over wrestling like there's like a bunch of people from like you know every time i die andy williams from every time i die the band yeah. is now wrestling on tv uh the the uh god's hate lead singer brody is is wrestling on tv now there's like well, I think punk. Did, well didn't doyle and jerry like wrestle a little yeah. bit or something <laughs> it seems like they were like I, I remember reading about that or seeing something or whatever yeah. so there's an episode with actually uh, uh, Zach Blair uh, from, you know, Rise Against. And, yeah, yeah, no, I totally know Zach. The homie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Zach and this friend of mine, MVP, who's a pro wrestler, who have this weird connection where they connect back. You, you got to hear the episode, but they wind up having to save uh, Doyle and Jerry from being murdered by the macho man, Randy Savage, because his fiance ran off with Doyle while they were wrestling at <laughs> WCW. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It all goes down in a club in Miami, and it is definitely yeah. uh, one of those kind of ultimate stories where you realize, like, oh, there's, there's a weird connection between that's these. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. So, yeah. it, it, but you know what's also I find interesting is that, like, it's funny. Like, talking to John, he talks about how, you know, like, you go to D.C., and the Misfits wouldn't go over in D.C., but they would go over huge in Detroit, you know? And it yeah. feels like – but it feels like, once again, Austin, it's like Meyer Threat's huge there, but also the Misfits are huge there. Like, you guys, like, seem to, like – all of it like punk could be very straightforward and could be this one thing but it could also be very theatrical at the oh same yeah time. it's just like you're either good or you're not you know so that's basically it so it's just like there wasn't once again there's just not you know i mean i you know i'm sure there were some kids but you know like that that definitely put those boundaries on it but for the most part it was just this open free thing to do what you want to do you know i mean that's that's how come you could have like rank and file and things like that, you know, they would play just as alongside big boys too, you know, which was like total country kind of sounded band or whatever. You know, it's just, it was, 
which, which to me it should be. You know, it's yeah. like because you you don't know you don't know what you know. One of the the best um, I'm trying to think of what the word is for it, but one of the best things that can happen is some kid comes to something and they turn around and they start doing something on their own because they got influenced by something they saw you do or saw something you said or whatever. That's freaking amazing. You know, that, that's like, that's unbelievable to me. You know, it's, it's just, it, it, just that one person, you've changed one person's mind. That's, I can't even think what would be better than that. You know, that's just yeah. like, that's for, and, and, and I'm not saying that like looking down on somebody or anything. It's just, like we're talking about the idea of like, no, it's wide open. You can do whatever you want to do. And I mean, think about when SST started putting out all the different kinds of styles of records, you know, and then people were getting kind of bummed and there's like a, there's a really great, um, because nobody fit into that, you know, that mode or what, you know, you know like, 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 like meat, look at meat puppets, you know, like <laughs> meat puppets didn't sound anything at all, like our saccharine trust or any kind of, and, uh, and I just remember one of best favorite stories and it's kind of mine too, but it's just, and it comes up every once in a while because you know how black flag, like every time they would come, it would be a totally different thing. Like that. Cause now they're playing really, really slow. Now they've got beards. Now their hair is really long. Now their hair is short. Now there's kind of thing. And I remember they played at the Ritz and one of the times it's about the third or fourth time they come. And I can't, I think Henry had started singing with them and, uh, and I just remember when the show was over, there's two kids in front of us when we're walking out, like me and Beth, and we hear the one kid saying to the other kid going, man, why can't Black Flag be Black Flag? Kind of thing. And I just thought, okay, that's the greatest argument. <laughs> so stuff will come up now every once in a while where something will be, you know, like they're not doing what they used to do or whatever, and we'll just be laughing, looking at each other going, why can't Black Flag be Black Flag? Like what? <laughs> Well, because people take ownership over a certain period, right? Because it's like, it's nostalgia for a lot of people at the end of the day, right? Like not well, everyone's their high school, school touchdown pass. That's what yeah. it is. It's like, like, come back, come back with me. Wasn't that the greatest time ever? I had so much fun. Come on with, me, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And it's like, yeah, it was cool. But there's like, you know, there, there might be something else coming up. You don't know, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, and it's like, it's the funny thing is if Black Flag had stayed the same and not had the side two of my war, there wouldn't be this whole like well the doom thing would have changed completely it would be totally yeah. evolved completely differently right like it just it's amazing like because you can't really appreciate art or measure art's success in terms of uh i don't know financial terms like it just doesn't make sense but yeah. cultural impact i find like like looking at something and being like look at the, how that changed the world around it like you know diy spaces that ultimately sadly in some cases but completely just change the neighborhood because yeah. at the DIY space moves in and then geographically, like how does Athens develop without the B-52s? Like it would be yeah. a completely different city. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. So it's like, yeah. I mean, I don't know what, what to say other than that. Yeah. You're, you're totally dead on it. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I say that because, and I don't want to put this on you because I know you hate what but I the, do. The, but the thing is too, that like you, it, if the B-52, if people wouldn't have like, you know, they weren't on MTV and all of a sudden they got to be a big thing, you probably still wouldn't know about Athens. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's like until REM came. It's because it's just a combination of a lot of different stuff because things are going on in all these little towns and cities. It's just a matter of all of a sudden somebody starts championing 
you know, the, I mean, the saddest thing is when the, because when Bad Mother Geese started, I, I went and talked to the Chronicle because there was a band here called Poi Dog Pondering. That's like, a, I don't even know how to explain them. It's, it's definitely not hardcore by any means. And they were from Hawaii and stuff. And, uh, but they were cool. It was a neat band and stuff. It's just different. It was like, it's kind of like REM ish, not like them, but you know what I'm saying? When it started going into college rock or whatever they want to call it or whatever, kind of, yeah, just something totally different. And, um, and the Chronicle started writing about them like this is the greatest. Like there's no there's no place this band's going to be able to go after the Chronicle starts writing except down. There's no there, there's nothing you know because they're acting like if this doesn't happen for them this is but but kind of. And so when Bad Mother first started, it was me and Billy and there was different people in the band that everybody knew. And we kind of knew as soon as we did the first show, there's going to be a pretty big, rather they come back or not, that's a different story. But there's going to be that first crowd of people because of the people in the band. I went to the Chronicle and asked him, I said, look, just don't try to turn this into something. Just like if you like it, cool, you know, but don't don't turn this into the next big thing. And this is going to kind of just let it be what it is and let us do what we're doing and let's not, you know, just. Well, that's, and that's what the British music press does. That's what they did to punk, you know, where they yeah. just build something up to the point where there's no way it could possibly live up to what they put oh, yeah, on yeah. this thing. Well, the best, I think one of the best things is that uh, when MTV did the the history of punk or what, I don't know what that was called. I didn't even really see it. I just know about it because of the people telling me, but supposedly like, you know, it starts with Sex Pistols and Ramones and stuff, and it kind of goes to that whole period, and then Nirvana kind yeah. of thing. So it totally skips skips all the shit we're talking about. And I thought that was, you know, people were bummed, but I thought it was great because it's like, okay, cool. They can't make it safe. They can't figure out how to package this whole thing that went on that was you know, every every city had kind of a different. I mean, e even the way people would skank was different in each city. You know, some people would do it way down on their knees. Some people would be way back like that. You know, it's just all these different versions of, you know, how they did it at that place or what how they you know their interpretation of it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, well, that's when it gets most interesting too. When it's like in between those booms, when there's like you know, obviously those two explosions, it's super popular. But like you're saying, like when it goes back to the smaller clubs and the smaller rooms and it's just 30 people at a show, 20 people at a show, that's when the innovation's happening because yeah. there's nothing at stake. Yeah. My favorite, like the, the, the seriously, and I, we've, I've told you this before, my, my favorite band and the thing that really like flipped a lot of switches with me and stuff was Lord High Fixers. Like I just, that band to me was just like, and one of my fa like I, by the time Jack of Fire started going, um, uh, I had learned in Bad Mother Goose that people would look at us, look at pictures of us, and they knew exactly what we played. We played that Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of type, you know, the kind of, and no, we played straight up funk kind of, you know, and so I just decided from then on, like, I'm not, there's not going to be pictures of bands. We're not going to do, you know, should, I'm, you're, you're going to have to hear this and you your imagination you're going to have to figure out what you think kind of deal and i quit reading reviews and all that kind of stuff because it's just it's yeah not not in a bad sort of way but it's just a fact it's one person's opinion it's like it's like my art you know it's like you know if you want a piece cool take it but don't be polite don't be taking it just because oh well, tim's kind of if you really like it cool here you go you know kind of thing but it, it's so subjective you know what i'm trying to say and uh so somebody tagged me on a post 
that uh, this guy, Stevie Chicks, who I, I still write to often, he seems like a really nice guy. And so I don't think we've ever met, but uh, in England. And the, one of the last Lord High Fixer records, I guess, got really big in England or something. And he wrote this thing. And it's, it's great because it starts with this thing saying, well, I... I don't even know what to call this anymore. It's its own genre now. I just went, okay, you totally got it. This is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah. And that's like, you know, like we were talking about earlier with Poison 13, it has to be a, a new thing that people don't know what to call it. People don't know what to get for it to be impactful years later. Cause otherwise you'd be like, why will I listen to the bootleg minor threat when I can just listen to the minor threat? You know, like why, yeah. why do I want to hear someone else? I don't know. Like, it just feels like from doing the show, everything that is impactful, people don't understand it but see that's but that's that's where you get into trouble that's that's the trouble and their problem because mm-hmm. it's it's that's the kind of reasoning of like and we've all got friends like this where okay everything stopped in 1982 with who's could do and so on so and nothing's ever going to be better than that and it all and that just sounds like who's could do that sounds like so-and-so. and you just you you won't even open up and realize that you might, you know, in all this stuff that you don't like, something may come through that's like, holy shit, this is pretty great. Who is this? You know, kind of, you know what I'm saying? And, and we've all got friends like that. And, and it amazes me because if you already were searching out things that weren't given to you on the radio or you weren't really, re- you, know, you had to really search for this music and find this stuff, would you stop for like what happened that made you all of a sudden okay 83 that's it that's that's nothing's going to be better than that you know kind of it's just it's amazing to me you know but once again whatever to each his own like what you know i think it's people clinging to their youth you know you don't want to like it's that age of men like that movie where you don't want there to be another generation below you you want to be the young people that are the cultural barometers forever like you're saying like those hippies not understanding the punks yeah. It's because they're like, well, we're the youth culture. Look, this is what counterculture looks like. It's not what you're doing. But yeah, like, yeah. I see you're going to miss out, though. I mean, yeah, that's you're yeah. totally going to miss out if you don't just stay wide open and like see all this. Stuff. It's like Joe, Joe's still working on the big boys doc kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And when he went out to go talk to people, I kept sending him to to uh, what this book is that Don Giovanni's putting out. And I'm not trying to turn this thing over to that. It's not like, oh, oh no, plug, don't worry, I'm, I got a plug. The book, the book that's coming out is all these visionary environments that I took with toy camera photos. And then I painted the people that did them and all this stuff. But the idea was like, see, it wasn't just music. Look, look yeah. what's going on over here. Go look at that. Go look at this. Go see that over there. It's just that whole idea of like the, the, the more wide open you are about stuff, and the bigger your vocabulary is going to be and the more stuff you've got to work with, you know, kind of thing, as opposed to just like, no, don't. I mean, MC5 is a really good example of this. There's still, actually, there's two things that, that kind of tie in with this. That, um, but MC5, it's amazing to me because everybody, oh, my God, MC5. This, oh my, this, you know, this, they're on this pedestal and all this kind of stuff. But, oh, jazz, that doesn't have anything to do with rock. I don't like jazz at all. That's not, no. MC5, it's like MC5 covered Pharaoh Sanders. Like you're being disrespectful to the person that you're high holding in such high regards. Why don't you start listening to some of that and try to figure out why did they like, man, I love this band. Why they like this stuff? Like what's, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's amazing that people, and the, and the same thing with like early punk. It's really funny because people seem to always cite like Johnny Thunders, who was great, you know, and stuff like that. But Man, at least in Austin, 
if anybody played a guitar lead, people were throwing shit and just, I mean, that's, you were totally, that's why guitar leads were like, me, 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 me. It's just this kind of like, fuck you. You know, like you were so against that whole showboating kind of type. And it's amazing now because kids are just like, no, it all started with like Johnny Thunders and Heartbreakers. And, you know, just like, no, it didn't. Like, that's not, That's why there's no start. Like, that's what I think is also, I find interesting because like, you know, same time Thunders is doing it, Dr. Feelgood's in England kind of doing it like that, yeah, you know, like yeah. it's, it, it's, it's happening in, in Australia with the Saints and Radio Birdman, like yeah. it's it's really, and even like, you know, I know ZZ Top <laughs> maligned, but ZZ Top, like for that, for a certain sector of kids that, that was the regional example of it, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah. Feels, it feels like it was, yeah, you, it's, you can't pinpoint it. It's an energy that just kind of coalesces at a certain point in my yeah. mind. Yeah, no, that's totally, yeah, that's totally, yeah, that's, um... well, I could talk to you forever, Tim. <laughs> Honestly, this has been incredible. And every time I get to talk to you, I, I come away inspired because I really do think. Oh, man, thank you. Oh, no. well, I mean, you guys were great. Like the times I saw it, it was really cool. And so That's I just awesome. remember, I think the best time I saw y'all was when y'all played at the uh, Barracuda and we were kind of on the side of the stage. I saw that. That was pretty great. So, no, it's good. It's, it's cool. So oh, that, that means a lot. And uh, anytime you want to come back, I'd love to have you and Beth on next time if she's down because we could. Uh, I'll ask her and see if she wants it. It'd be funny to hear. There's there's a picture in Pat Blaschel's photo, uh, book that's just so freaking great. And it's like, and it's that last big boy show, which, you know, that's a whole nother story. And it was just like, it wasn't going to be the last show, but it was, it ended up being the last show and stuff. But it's the picture where I'm kind of turned to the amp. And I've got that jack because I'm a jack. So I've got the jack's jacket on and stuff like that. And, uh, and you see Glenn. Dan, because Sal went, you're supposed to say Sal Wynn. It's not Sam Hain, it's Sal Wynn, because it's a Gaelic term for Halloween and stuff. And like, and uh, and you see Glenn like reared back like this, having the greatest time, and a bunch of them are there. And Beth's standing by Glenn with this face. I mean, you just need to go back and look at it. It's just so freaking great because she's just got this face like, what the fuck? Like, kind of. <laughs> That's she was awesome. there was a time there was a time when fugazi played here there was because fugazi was such a freaking amazing band and like when you go back and see that stuff or hear that stuff you just realize again like oh my god this band this was so a whole nother thing like this was a whole nother level you know what they were doing and stuff but one of the times they came it was ian's birthday and uh this guy in the front you know because they were they were always griping about people stage diving and everything. And the, and the, the, and the reason they were doing that, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to be making rules. The idea came from like, look, get naked and roll on the ground, do something different. Like, why do you have to do that uniform? Like do something else like, you know, kind of, and that's kind of where that all stemmed from. And so, and one of the, my favorite things was when they first, the first time they played here at Liberty Lodge and uh, we played with them and stuff. Um, this kid ran, you know, here comes the first kid and comes across the stage, runs, goes off, they stop. And Guy gets on the microphone and it's just like going, sir, sir, sir. And everybody's kind of like looking and the kid kind of looks up and stuff saying, are you okay? And the kid's like looking up and everybody's, what, you just fell off the stage. Are you okay? I mean, it's just so fucking great. But it was Ian's birthday and some kid got mad because of the that kind of stuff going on. And he's, and he's, I think he spit on Ian. I think it's what happened. And they all stopped and Ian called him out and everything. And, and he said, you know, what, what's your problem or whatever kind of thing. He says, you're old kind of thing, you know, like that. And then Ian's like, well, how old do you think I am? 
you know, kind of something. And, you know, the guy's like, oh, I don't know, like 30, you know, something <laughs> like that. And I was at the sound booth and you know, we're definitely older than Ian and them and, and like, and Beth's two years older than me. And I'm like, I'm hearing all of this and seeing this kid. And I'm thinking, you fucking asshole, like the kind of thing. But before I could even think about anything, I can feel somebody coming up over me, like trying to get around me to get over to this kid. And it's Beth. And she's just like, fuck you, you know, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Uh, anytime, anytime you, you with Beth, anytime, Tim, you, you are always welcome on this podcast. Thank you for your time. No, of course. Thank you. Thank you, Tim, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Tim and hopefully Beth, um, will be on the show at some point in the future to talk about more stuff because there's a lot more to talk about. How, how awesome is that? Gotta be smiling after that. Um, all right. Well, that is it. Uh, coming up on the next episode of the show, another guest that I'm very excited to finally have on the show, Mike Herrera from the band MXPX, also now plays in Goldfinger as well, uh, will be on the show, as well, uh, tons of other bands as well, too. But we will be talking about a lot of stuff. This is a, a very interesting episode with a, a, a very cool person and, and just his journey and kind of... I don't know where he's at now in life versus where he was in the beginning. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting episode. I'm very excited for you to hear it. And that is it for today. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths and just stop the fucking madness. This is just, these are human rights issues. These aren't political issues. These these are just basic things. People just need to be able to live their lives. So fuck off to Nazis. Fuck off to fascists. There's no there's no place for that shit. Certainly not in punk, but anywhere. There's no place for that shit anywhere. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you, 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 know, you don't need them anymore. Try doing something creative for yourself. Draw a picture. Start a band. Start a fanzine. Start a podcast. It's a little saturated in that world. Maybe maybe don't start a podcast. Ah, start one. Who cares? Fuck. What's another one? Let's all let's all have them. That's what I say. Um, but anyone can do this shit, and doing stuff that's creative can help your mental health. Speaking of helping your mental health, try meditating. And I'm not saying subscribe to any particular type or anything like that. You know, I just use an app, and it works for me, and it might work for you too. I find just giving yourself a second in your brain and just focusing on your breathing for a moment, like it really does kind of slow everything down and not in a bad way, not, not in the way that other medicines that I enjoy do. This is a, you know, slows it down in a, in a different kind of way, but a way that anyone and everyone I think can benefit from. Yeah, maybe not, you know, who knows? What do I know? I'm just hosting a podcast and yelling a band. Um, so I, I don't, I'm, I'm now I'm lost track of what I was going to say. I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, if I'm forgetting anything, I apologize. Uh, stay well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode. I'm stoked for you to hear that one. It's, it's a good one. Thanks for listening. Bye. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.